Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion. Second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on today. We're going to talk about super sources. Uh, we've, I've collected a couple super sources for us to look at. And really, it's just a basis of talking about super sources and the design of them and how they work and some of the other bits and pieces. So stay tuned for that in the second hour. And if you've got questions about super sources, how to make them, how how they work, uh, how to make them work well, then throw those questions in uh, to Makana and ask those questions early and ask often, vote early, vote often. Uh, you're the, you decide what we're talking about. So um, if you ask questions right now, you'll end up in the show. <laughs> so, so, um, and, uh, and also, if you vote on those questions, you can kind of order our run-up show uh, to your liking. So vote on the questions, ask questions. And uh, now let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes this morning from Steve Uroff in Madison, Wisconsin. And Steve asks, I'd like to make a virtual window between two physically separate offices, an always-on or daily auto-started video conference that links two spaces in two different buildings. How would you tackle this? Go ahead, Jeffrey. So I'm, I'm taking Zoom off the table. I'm taking Teams off the table because I'm assuming that's not where you want to go with this. Um, and I'm also going to assume that both offices are connected uh, with uh, somehow IP related. And so the free version, the best free version is to actually have two NDI cameras, one at each location, and then a machine uh, computer with NDI uh, studio monitor set up on both sides. You can easily then create this window. Uh, the biggest concern would be how you would pipe the audio from one office to the other. But that would uh, just be uh, setting up a mixer, but it really depends on how you're, how how you're thinking this whole thing out from there. Otherwise, you know, Zoom back and forth would be the best thing. It's really all about security at that point. You want it to go outside your infrastructure or stay inside the infrastructure. Yeah, if you're if you're looking to do it in Zoom, we did reach out to our larger network for some expert advice. And here's the the advice is to put a Zoom room in each building, uh, make a recurring meeting for every day, and 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 make both Zoom rooms alternative hosts for the meeting. Every day outside of the working hours, like 3 a.m., call this API on both Zoom rooms. Uh, and there's a and we'll put some links in here. Uh, send uh, the API call to both rooms. That way, the reset is automatic, and then the rejoin are handled every day with no intervention. Um, so those are the, that's probably uh, a way to do it that would be fairly automatic and it would just always be there every single time uh, you came up. Next question. Next question comes to us from Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland. And Dave says, probably a fact, a frequently asked question, but does the panel know any clever ways of getting the key fill graphics into an ATEM from an HTML source, for example, H2R graphics, other than using a Chroma or Luma key? You know, the problem really is, is it, well, the question for you is whether you're using an ATEM, uh, HDMI, or SDI. It is, you know, if you're trying to do an animated lower third and you're using HDMI, there's no way to really lock those signals together. So the, you may end up with a sync problem where the HDMI, where the alpha channel may not be perfectly synced with the color channel, with the fill channel. And that means that you'll see some some odd edges if it's moving too quickly. Um, so that's one thing to think about there. Outside of that, though, um, I believe that you could use something on a Mac like Mimo Live and probably vMix on the PC where you're basically uh, sending out, you have two channels, you're grabbing onto the HTML uh, with alpha channel um, and outputting it uh, to, uh, you know, to the, uh, in, in two different channels out. Now, you could also use 
uh, SPX Graphics. SPX Graphics will we'll take that web and uh, put it out there. So uh, SPX is probably the, the most straightforward because that's all it does. The other ones that I'm, I've listed are, do, do a lot of other things you may want to add, but SPX is built for this. And if you're on a PC, you could install, we what we use, all the graphics you see on this show are SPX with uh, Casper. Casper is a free app uh, that you can put on a PC and we have a we have an SDI card that is putting out a key fill signal. So if your if your ATEM is uh, an SDI based ATEM, this should work really well. If it's HDMI, little it, you know your mileage may vary, but uh, SPX with Casper is probably a pretty straightforward way to get that get those graphics out. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Bo Cordell in Charleston, South Carolina. And Bo asks, I'm almost ready to trade my Blackmagic Design 6K for a Sony with autofocus. Is it worth waiting until NAB to see if Blackmagic miraculously releases a firmware update enabling continual autofocus? Go ahead, Chris. I doubt it could possibly be firmware, uh, Bo. And I think that I'll obviously always wait before you purchase anything right before NAB. And we've had this discussion before in the past, and I think that there are probably meetings that happen at Blackmagic. By the way, did you see the uh, April Fools? Apparently, Adobe bought Blackmagic. Did you see that? <laughs> um, I bet I bet you there are many conversations at Blackmagic. Many there are conversations at Blackmagic where I think they're possibly afraid to try and get into continuous autofocus because Sony is so far ahead. But um, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah, I think the hard part with autofocus is that it's really hard. Like it, it you know, like what Sony does, you say, oh, well, Sony has a, you know, autofocus and other people have autofocus. Canon's got some autofocus and Panasonic's got autofocus and all of them are reasonably good. Um, I think that really the design that Blackmagic took on is that we're really, it's a film camera and film doesn't do that. You know, we, and I think that that was kind of a justification for the fact that it would take an enormous amount of R&D <laughs> to do, uh, you know, for that part of the camera. And, uh, and so, you know, can, do we, are we ready to do that when we release the camera? And I think the years ago when they did it, it may not have been, I think now there's a little bit more of a, you know, for me, I had to, I had to switch over just because I, I just really realized as I turned that over, it was becoming more problematic. I would wait for NAB, not because I'm watching what Blackmagic does. I don't think they're going to do anything with their autofocus, but what Sony may do. So, so you may want to wait until and just see all the Sony cameras. We already saw a full frame at the same or about the same price or less than the one I just, the FX30 that I have. Um, we saw another one come out last week. We may see more of those types of things. Um, there's a lot of rumors that Sony's going to really double down on full frame sensors. And so um, you probably don't want to buy anything right now. You know, I, I say that after I bought one last week, <laughs> but I needed it. I needed this camera for some other things, and I couldn't wait until until NAB for it. So, and yeah, what did you Chris. get? What did you get, Alex? I have an FX30 now. So, um, so that's I, what I'm you're using right now. That's what I'm using right now. Oh, and I'm the, sad for you. And the big thing is, is that when I, uh, you know, when I when I, oh, I can't I can't show you that. <laughs> so anyway, when I do this, um, I'm about to grab something that's NDA. <laughs> so anyway, so um, uh, but when I grab this and you see the the nice little case that I have here, and I let go, it just drops right back into focus, you know. And that's the yeah. And then it has, <laughs> Chris's doesn't work nearly nearly the same way. It's just out of focus the whole time. So anyway, so the um, uh, that's the you know that's the big advantage. And I you know I just found myself. I really wanted the short depth of field. I think I got really hungry for it with this background behind me. You know, when I was gray, I could just turn up the f-stop 
and then it didn't really matter. But with, with this background, I wanted to be a certain softness and to get to that softness meant that I was always, I was always a little out of focus for the show. And I was like, this has to stop. So, so anyway, so that's where, that's how I got to the FX 30. Um, and part of it was that Sony lent me the FR seven for three weeks and I got to feel what it was like to not be leaning in and out you know, all the time. And, uh, that was, uh, that was hard to get over. So, um, so anyway, so that's, that's what, uh, you know, that's, that's where I've gone with it. Um, but I think that we should just see what happens uh, at NAB. I wouldn't buy anything before then. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. And Paul says, can you set up an LG Quad 43-inch monitor with four HDMI inputs from a Mac M1, two HDMI screens stacked, and a PC, two HDMI screens stacked from that, and remotely access it with the same setup using Synergy and Remote PC? I don't know how the remote PC and Synergy would work together. That's the only part. The rest of it all makes sense. You know, so it's, it is a uh, synergy between those, those monitors should work just fine. Uh, the, the um, remote PC part should work just fine, but actually having Synergy and remote PC working together, I think you're at a 50-50 and I haven't done it, but I, I think you're about 50-50 that it'll work. Um, next question. Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona. Up next with what's your favorite physical KVM, keyboard, uh, uh, mouse, and something else, where the focus is just the keyboard and the mouse? Uh, I'm using a P-Way. <laughs> P-Way, it's, it's very, you know, like, I don't know what it's, it's a, it is, it is a, um, uh, it's something I got on Amazon. It does have HDMI um, in, in it. It is not a, um, and I think maybe it's not called a, uh, let me see. I'm going to try to find it for you real quick. Um, the uh, it's not. I think it's not called a. It's it's a KVM switch HDMI. Um, oh, it's now. It says P-Way on the top, so that's why that's why I call it that. But it's a a Grath Tech, a Grath a Grath Tech, um, and it's about fifty five bucks. Um, it's capable of four K um, thirty for for your HDMI cables. Um, but it is, but I'm using just the, all I use for it is the, is the USB, um, you know, connection to it. So that's, that's, I'm just hubbing between my, key, you know, and I have my keyboard. Now, one thing I will say is that for, for whatever reason, and I, I haven't really spent enough time, I can't use, I can't connect the mouse and the keyboard separately to this little KVM. So it may be a, a, a strike against it, um, is that, um, I can't, when I plug, there's two inputs in the front, but they never both work at the same time. My mouse and, it, and it's a Kensington trackball is super tweaky and crashes about once a once a day, and and so um, what I mean by crashing is it just stops working after unplug it and plug it back in again. <laughs> so so anyway, so the uh, um, but I, it will not work with the keyboard. It'll work if I plug it into the keyboard. It will not work if I plug it into the into the KVM. So so those are th some things to look at. But I I've been using it for years now. Um, and it and it otherwise works just fine. Um, it's just got buttons on the front. It's really simple. I plug it in. It, it a couple of rules is it had to have buttons on the front, not on the top. The reason for that is I stack other things on top of it. <laughs> so so I had a couple of rules that everything had to be going out of the back, and every and all the buttons had to be on the front, and it had to be you know a little rectangle. There's a lot of KVMs that have a lot of buttons in a lot of places, and I decided that that was the you know that was the requirement um, that I had for this. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael, and he notes Neumann has introduced the MT48 USB portable audio interface with built-in AES67 audio over Ethernet connectivity at about $1,850 US dollars. Could this be a solid choice for a small system? And he's got the link there to it. Uh, go ahead, Bill. 
Well, I was I, I got the notification in one of my mailboxes, so I took a look through the product. It is highly engineered, and at that price, as we will well expect it to, Neumann is an absolute top-of-the-line uh, company out of Germany. It's been doing high-end audio for a long time. So I would expect that in terms of engineering and functionality and the rest of that, it's probably absolutely stellar. Now, that said, these things all depend on the digital audio conversion, the DACs that are inside of them. Um, and I will say that even mid-priced DACs over the course of the last 10 years have really gotten up to a point where they're pretty indistinguishable between a lot of these units. Now, I'm not saying that the Neumann doesn't have some special sauce in it, but I've been trying to figure out why would I leap from something like my Universal Audio Apollo uh, line, which is three, four, maybe $500 at the top range, and do four times that, there are some people for whom those budget considerations don't matter at all. And if you're touring behind Madonna or something, or that's a little kind of dated, but if you're touring behind Taylor Swift, the difference between a $350 conversion thing to get a particular job done and an $1,800 one is insignificant totally. So I can see a lot of professionals going for this and going, what what special sauce has Neumann put in there? AES-67 capability is one of those things. So I'd look at this and say, do I need this level? and maybe where is it going? Where do you think they might be doing something special in the future? Go, Jeffrey. You know, the best part about this uh, about this device, of course, is that AES-67 because they say that you can, if you, once, when you connect it up, connect up to your network, you can, and, and you don't have to use that. It's a really small touch screen that's there, but you can also uh, call up an app on your iPad and then control it from there. So what it uh, what I see this as really being the the best part is if you have a studio where everybody's in an individual room and you're doing some recording, uh, you have uh, maybe music or podcasting or anything like that, uh, you can uh, have these little interfaces right in front of the musician or the podcaster and then they plug into them, and then everything goes back to the to the main console. Uh, so this is a type of interface where you don't need to have a computer uh, connected directly to this, which is great. And uh, of course, I would guess that the best type of microphone that you'd want to have on there is a Neumann. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say it looks it looks really nice. I mean, without testing it, it looks like it's got a ton of features stacked into it. It has, we know that, I think that what, what they're playing to is that we know that as a Neumann, the chances of it being, you know, a pretty high quality build is very high. So, you know, everything, your preamps are going to be great. Your just creature comforts, everything just kind of working together. It's going to have that kind of real precision feel to it. So I definitely think that there are, there is a market for it. I think that it's probably not a big market, <laughs> but, but I think that there's definitely a market uh, for that piece that I, I have to admit there's a, I definitely, uh, definitely would love to play with one. Um, but I, I don't know if I, I don't know when I would justify buying one, um, but it, but it does look like a, like a great interface. Now, next question. Rob Bullock in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, really enjoyed the $1,000 studio episode last Friday and looking forward to more. In terms of lighting, can I get away with two Elgato key lights for my setup? And if so, what would be the best placement? Go ahead, Tom. Well, we spec'd out the NAND lights at that time, and what I'm using is three of them. And one is throwing a little bit of purple color splash on the uh, back of my... Uh, lines there. One is a hair light. And then finally, I use a main light here above my uh, teleprompter. 
which gives me flat lighting on me. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Uh, it, if you have it attached to the table uh, and you've got two of them, you can actually do two at uh, both corners and bring it up. Height is going to be an issue because uh, those poles only go so high and that the Elgato key light, uh, once you get past a certain distance, it's not going to be as powerful as it's as needed. The other thing is if you have a lot of wash through on the light and you want to try and uh, corral it, uh, there's no way to do a barn door or any type of uh, diffuser filter on those things. So it, it, it's great for having it right at the desktop and then going from there. But if you need to have something a little bit bigger than that, you might want to look at uh, something that can throw some more light. Yeah, I think one of the big advantages of it is that the software for it is actually really good. You know, so the software, we have a couple people using it. Nigel, who's usually on the show, is, is not here today, but he... Uh, he's just he's he uses those and um, it's just very convenient software so two of those will, you'll have a lot more control then you know i have a lot of nan lights and the one downside of the nan lights that are less expensive is there's not a lot of control for them you can go up there and dial them in uh, to make them work now if you don't change it very often that doesn't really matter uh, but if you if you want to sit there and tweak them a little bit or move them around um, having the software makes makes a pretty big difference so um, so i would definitely decide if that's something that you're interested in uh, they look like solid lights they're Smaller. So, for instance, the, the lights that I have are behind a diffusion, uh, a, a little wall of diffusion. It's five foot by three foot um, that's that's here that I have diffusion on it. And then I have stuff behind it. And that that makes it a lot softer. And you could do that with these as well. So you could build something out and then have those controls of color and, and so on and so forth. And it depends on how sensitive your camera is. For instance, the lights that I have right now are turned down. If I turn it down anymore, they turn off. You know, So they're very, very low. It's really easy on my eyes. Um, and uh, I'm able to do what I want to do, but still have the directional lighting that I'm looking for. Um, next question. Ike Potter in Hanover, Germany's up with this one. To save an outlet of my power strip, can I use a free port of my power over Ethernet plus switch with the help of a passive power over Ethernet adapter, RJ45 to DC, to drive an ATEM streaming bridge? And if so, what DC plugs inner diameter is right for the streaming bridge? He's wondering if it's 2.1 or 2.5 millimeter. Well, if you're, oh, I see. Yeah, so he, I, I don't know. I guess the question I have for the streaming bridge is, is it a, um, uh, I'm just trying to kind of piece this he together. To power the, the ATEM streaming bridge over, by adapting yeah, a power over Ethernet signal? But I just don't, what I don't, what I'm having trouble with is connecting the 2.1 and 2.5. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. I'm not sure about that. Did you, I I think the the best because I think they're two point ones that you get with the standard uh, switch over, but I'm not 100 percent sure. The bigger thing is the streaming bridge goes from six volts to 30 volts on DC power, so 12 volt might be a good in between, depending on what you're connecting up to it. But you might run into some problems if you're uh, if you're over overpowering it. Yeah. The um uh, it should come, I don't think that there's any PoE, uh, RJ to TC to drive. There oh, is I no see. PoE uh, no, on that, yeah. No, no, it's not PoE. What he wants to do is use a passive PO adapter to, it's an adapter from RJ45 to DC. Um, you know, so he wants to go from the, the PoE to the DC. And I have to admit that you are 
for me, you're in uncharted, uncharted territory. <laughs> like, like, so take it. I didn't even know that that existed. So, so I will, we'll have to take a look at uh, what you're, maybe ask that again tomorrow and let me think about it a little bit. This came in a little later than, than we were reviewing them uh, this morning. And I have to think about that a little bit. So what I think that the question here is, is to take the power over ethernet and reverse it. So you're taking the power from the ethernet and pushing it out as, Converting it back to power, you know, rather than you know into a into a um, yeah. Know, he the, wants the, to the vampire standard. the Ethernet power in yeah. to drive the ATEM streaming bridge. Yeah, and and I uh, and then and then be able to I, I assume be able to use the Ethernet for the streaming bridge. I I it's a um I wouldn't do that. <laughs> like I can just tell you, like I, I, just, I you know, that this, I, I see, I see that it's possible to do that. Um, I'd be um somewhat concerned about it. Uh, I don't know. If that's a pretty untested thing to do maybe you can pull it off um but i this, would this is the type of plug that uh, that yeah. you would want for that and but it's all yeah. about that can and i don't know the size of that can yeah i don't i don't know either i i, I would test carefully like it just it, it is a very unusual thing to do and when you start doing things unusual sometimes they're genius and sometimes you know the difference between <laughs> genius and crazy is so anyway, so 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 yeah, so so anyway, so just just be careful with it. Um, it could there's a lot of things that could go wrong there. So I I don't think it's not something that I would take on, but but I, if you take it on, I would love to hear how it goes. Next question, Henry Ramos from Yonkers, New York says, has anyone legally done a live stream in Instagram lately? Months ago, they posted they were allowing RTMP streams, but I'm not aware of anyone that's been granted permission to do that. You can. We've been doing legal Instagram streams for a long time. Uh, not, you, the, the, not, they're not, they're all legal. Like, just, let's be clear. They're all legal. You're not breaking any laws if you use Yellow Duck. <laughs> so, so Yellow Duck is, is the software that people use to go around it. And basically what it does is it goes out and finds the RTMP key um, from Instagram and then gives it back to you. And so you can just stream RTMP into Instagram. And that is not illegal it's against their you know they can turn it off at any point it's against their tos but that doesn't make it illegal um and so so people they i don't i know it's possible i i actually can say that there's been one or two instances that i know of where someone at, at instagram or facebook just turned it off like just went and just and just turned off that stream um but outside of that it has you know it's a pretty solid way to do it now the other way that we're, you know, that people are doing it is with, I think YOLO has a, uh, YOLO Live has a, has a feature where it acts as a phone. Um, so it, it is an, and it's an input. You know, all of us talked about this is the way around it. And um, what the, the idea was is that you, you have something that says I'm an Android phone, but it has professional inputs into it so that you can just feed into it as a, it just says, this is the camera and I'm going through it. And so YOLO Live can, can do that right now, I believe. And then the most convoluted way to do this, which we have done, <laughs> is that you, um, I have a piece of, I have a piece of it, of my rig here, hold on. Sorry, I was doing using this for something else. So this is, this is the piece that, that makes all the difference. <laughs> and so this is a macro um, system. And so basically what it does is it lets you, um, let me pull this up like this. It lets you go back and forth in minute amounts and forward and back in minute amounts. This is what makes everything work about what I'm about to say. So you need one of these. They're not very expensive. I think I bought this for 30 bucks or something on Amazon. Anyway, so you put your, you, you get a, a iPhone rig 
and you put that iPhone rig uh, on here and you put your iPhone onto it or Android, doesn't matter. Um, and you shoot a, you shoot a screen, <laughs> screen in front of you and you will, you use this, this little thing here. First, you got to get it just right and just centered. And then you, and then you very carefully use those adjustments to move back and forth and forward and back to frame, to frame that frame. To, to, that's what I got that for, by the way, <laughs> that's part of a kit that does this. And, um, basically you frame up that monitor perfectly and then you put your, program into it and <laughs> you shoot it and you put a tent around it. So you put uh, duvetine all the way around the, around that rig and it will, it is completely legal to do it that way. And I got to tell you, when we first started doing this almost 10 years ago for Meerkat and um, Meerkat and Periscope, we just got a whole bunch of phone calls. Like, how are you adding graphics to it? How are you doing this? How are you doing that? And, and it was just because we had figured it out. It takes a lot of tweaking. Um, you have to do a bunch of manual stuff to, to the camera to do it. Um, it's not, I keep on thinking we should do a second hour about it, but I keep on feeling like they're going to get rid of all of this. There's no reason to talk to talk about it, but that is the way that you can completely sidestep, um, the stuff. And what we did is we used to keep a rig like that in our office and you could literally take a satellite truck from one part of the world, send it to our office and we could put it into, into Facebook, <laughs> like as an, as a cell phone. <laughs> you know? And, uh, uh, so it, it is a, it's a, it's kind of a fun little, um, project to, to build that out. So that's how you can do it right now. And you're not breaking any TOS. I don't think the Yolo live breaks a TOS because it acts like a phone. Um, yellow brick breaks the TOS, but it's not illegal. Um, and I've never, I, again, not never, but almost never seen it get turned up, get turned off. Uh, those are the three big options. And then we're waiting for our TMP to, um, show up. It's, uh, you know, I have no problem telling you how to get around it because it's just so stupid. <laughs> like, you know, it, you know, Instagram doing this is just so dumb, you know, and I, and I get why they're doing it. It's because they, they're trying to keep everybody from, uh, they're trying to keep people like us from being able to produce higher quality streams so that people, because what it does is it has a downward impact on people just doing it themselves. Like no one wants to do it with their own phone. If suddenly a whole bunch of really good streams go in and they can't figure out how they got short up the field and how they have graphics and how they have everything else, it makes, it has the, it, you know, the idea is to have as wide a user generated content net as possible, as opposed to having the best streams. And I just, I just think that that's a, it's backwards thinking. Anyway, that's, but that's why they do it. And those are the ways around it right now. And someday maybe RTMP will come out. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Rob Bullock in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. If I plan on getting a Sony FX30 to use as my main camera for meetings, is there an easy way to turn this on and off with a switch of some sort? For example, using a Stream Deck? I'd like to avoid reaching behind my setup to turn it on and off in between meetings. Uh, not that I know of. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I don't know about the that particular Canon, the Sony FX30, but my Blackmagic 6K, the switch stays in the same on position all the time. I have wired its uh, factory power supply into a switch on my desktop, and every morning before office hours, I hit the master switch, all the sub-switches turns on, and the camera does light up and go into its regular mode. Now, the one thing is I lose some of my settings, so I have to reprovision it every day, but in the case of the Blackmagic, it a power switch in front of it on and off maintains all of its basic functionality and it just comes on and works. I think that if you use that, there's a battery adapter, I believe for the FX 30 that slides into where it goes into and you have to use that because 
you can't power it without the battery if you're using the USB-C, which by the way is amazing. The fact that it uses USB-C as a power is so cool because <laughs> it just it took away all the, with the Blackmagic camera, I, I will admit, I love the Blackmagic cameras and we still use a lot of them, um, but the, it was always terrifying to, uh, if I lose the power supply, there's nowhere to get another power supply. Um, whereas with the Sony one, you're just thinking, well, I just need a USB-C somewhere. I mean, literally, I, I'm just using some random <laughs> USB-C power supply that it just works. The downside of that is that you need to have a battery in it. Um, and so, uh, it, or it won't work, but there's a battery adapter that I don't have that you could put it in. In that case, then you would just put a switch onto the power like what Bill has and be able to turn it on and off. And when, when I turn it on and off, it doesn't lose any settings. It just comes right back on. The downside is, again, of the FX30 is that you don't have any control over it from your ATEM. So that, that, the problem that I have right now with the camera is in the afternoon because I have the camera opened up the, 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 uh, my, there's no, I don't have an ND for it. It doesn't have a built-in ND, so I don't have a way to turn it down. And when I get sunlight from this window over here across my, the back area, it just glows and there's, I haven't, haven't solved that problem yet. So fortunately all of our meetings are in the morning anyway. Uh, but that's, that's, an, that's the next, uh, challenge there. Next question. Next one comes to us from Tobias Moss in Minneapolis. What's your recommendation for a PC laptop for office hours-esque video calls and good but not premium video editing? Go ahead, Jeffrey. Uh, any type of gaming laptop is a great one to have. If you've got, if you're going for uh, Intel i7, i9, uh, I think we're still dealing with that whole how many cores are inside the machine for the best quality of video uh, thing uh, with Zoom. And of course, uh, with, uh, with these gaming laptops, they'll have external uh, discrete graphics cards within them. And uh, they, they always work. Uh, in, I've been using one, uh, and I actually used it uh, back in the early days when we, were when we were still going through Zoom and we didn't have this higher end uh, backend. And then uh, I recorded a few of the, uh, of the shows uh, panels and uh, and of course uh, act a speaker from there, so that'll work fairly well. And just a quick reminder that of course you can ask questions throughout the hour. So there is a um, we're cutting through these questions at record speed, and maybe not record speed, but we're doing pretty good. Um, anyway, so uh, the um, uh, if you have questions, you can go ahead and add these both for the first hour. These are general questions as well as the second hour when we talk about super sources. So go ahead and throw your questions into Makana and make sure to vote on the questions because you're deciding when we talk about them. Next question. Next one comes to us from David Brady in New York City. Any word on the Zoom announced distributed record, the tech that does a local record that was announced at Zoomtopia? Yeah, I don't think we've heard um, exactly when that's going to occur. Um, that is that is still, um, you know, th there's no timeline to it. So my guess is it's definitely going to occur before next October uh, because that's when the next Zoomtopia is. <laughs> so so I'm 100% I'm certain that by by the time uh, we get to, to Zoomtopia, uh, it will be available. And what this is, is this, for uh, the, another name for this is uh, double ending. So it just means that you're, you're basically, um, you know, recording on both ends or all five ends or three ends, and then you bring those back and you put those back into an edit. And to get it, to have it done rock solid at a lar and large scale is, uh, is challenging. So, so I think that that's the, you know, I think it's going to take time for them to get it, work it into the system. Riverside.fm is another company that does stuff like this, as well as uh, Stream Voodoo 
and a couple other companies. Um, you know, so those are there's a couple of them that that already make this available. Go ahead, John. That's scheduled to come out right after breakout rooms for webinar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, 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 Squadcast for audio is another company that does does this. We it was Squadcast. I've been on a couple podcasts. I haven't used it myself. But I've been on a po- couple podcasts that have used it that have been per- fairly effective, and what it'll record those files locally, um, and uh, and then and then upload them, and and that works well with uh, D- Descript. So it, so I think that that's another another thing to to look at as well. Next question, Douglas Carmichael is up next with this. Uh, IK Multimedia has the iLoud Precision range of studio monitors that have a built-in 96 kilohertz DSP and room correction. Would you trust a monitor that adds another analog to digital and digital to analog conversion after your audio interface? And he's got a link there to the product. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would want my speakers to be that smart. I think that that's the problem that I have is that I, I, I you know, what happens is every time you have an adjustment somewhere, you have another variable that you have to manage. So like you, know, this is doing something and this is doing something. And sometimes you want certain parts of that pipeline to be dumb. You want them to just do what they're told to do and not, not, not get creative. Because then what happens is you put some correction, someone put a correction to there or someone does something there. And now you're now having to recorrect for it in some, somewhere up the, up the chain. And I think that I, I very much prefer my, my speakers to be not very smart. Uh, go ahead, Bill. So this is an interesting thing because, um, you know, in my youth, all speakers were passive and you wired your stereo amplifier or receiver to them. And that's what made the sound. That transition to putting amplifiers in speakers happened, you know, pretty late in my career. And it was interesting. I was nervous about them at first. Now, some of them turned out to be very good. And semiconductor and amplifier uh, technology got so small and easy that putting it inside the speaker and giving you a powered monitor became kind of the standard order of the day. And they sounded great. Um, now we're getting to the point, and I think Apple kind of proceeded with the living room uh, big, oh, I can't remember what they're called, the AirPods or whatever. They're not AirPods. They're the big speakers, HomePods. HomePods. Yeah. And so they would do some of what you're talking about. They would analyze the reflections coming back through the microphones that were in them and try to shape the sound based on what they saw as the reflections at various frequencies coming back. I'm not at all surprised that other people are trying to do the same kind of thing by making it an active thing. Because even in the past, if you put your speakers in the corner, there would be one setting on the back of, uh, for example, my studio monitors that they're corner placed or they're flat wall placed or something like that. And they were trying to bend the frequency curve a little to give you the best possible results out of those various placements. Um, I kind of, though, land with Alex here about the fact that if you put too much smarts in them, you're giving the speaker more control than you have. And most people who do this at a seriously high level want that control over shaping the response curve for the circumstance that speaker is in. And I think that really it's just having a single version of the truth, you know, knowing that it's going to, you know, if I'm turning this dial, there's nothing else that can go down the path. Now, I strongly prefer powered speakers over, um, you know, pow- you know, I, I, I don't like speakers getting power from my amp. So I like them to be self-contained in that way. And a lot of that has to do with routing. <laughs> so I have, and I think I'm sensitive to it because I have a house full of speakers that are all powered by amps, which means that there's no way for me to really program them without programming them all from, and, and I have to always have an amplifier system, you know, instead of just being able to send them an ethernet connection and 
and have them sorted out from there. And so I think that I'm I'm particularly sensitive to that. But yeah, so not having, I, I do like that part. I just don't like the speaker actually having control over much. Um, even volume becomes problematic on our end. Um, we have, I have some smart speakers, I'm not smart speakers, but I have some speakers with volumes on them. And we have to be very careful that they're all the same place all the time and no one turned one up or down. Um, next question. Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona. Alex, a couple of months back, you were experimenting with a 1920 by 720 display, eradicated, uh, dedicated, sorry, to displaying scopes. Did that work out? And he's got a link there to something, it looks like. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, that's the model number. This is the little display that you had. Yep. It was uh, very wide, very short, looked very interesting. Wanted to know what happened. There it is. It's still not working. Yep. <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> it, it works. It's just not in, in work. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's mostly been, it hasn't been to do with the, the, anything wrong with the display or anything else. It is, what happened was I, I had a Mac Mini dedicated to it, and then I, then I lent it uh, to, my, to my wife, and then I had another Mac Mini connected to it, and then I used it for the Michael Krasny show, and then I had another, you know, like, I, it hasn't been a, a function of the problem with the monitor, it has been a function of the, the computer that will drive it, um, has been the, the thing that has been delayed. And so, um, and so I keep on, you know, it's sitting here waiting for me to do that. And I, and I just keep moving on, uh, to, you know, and it's, it's just getting the right, you know, computer. Uh, it's been my computers. I'm actually, I got one of the melees should be arriving to, today or tomorrow. Um, so that I can test some other things that are related to that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Next question. Sorry. Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia says, I want to build an HDMI convenience panner panel are the Neutrik HDMI feed through jacks any good and he's got a link there to them you know I'll, I'll generally say that I trust Neutrik more than others when it comes to building these connectors um, and uh, yeah these are the ones yeah I would probably cho choose these Neutrik generally does a great job at building these and what what Alex has put up is uh, it's essentially let me see if I can uh, pop this up here um, the what what you have here is um, so um, so this is this is what these look like here and um, what's what's important here is that what these these go into a larger rack uh, so they just screw in these these parts of the screw in here there and so you have you put your HDMI in here and then it's just all it's doing is doing a pass through so when your HDMI comes when you're plugging a cable in it's it's going to just simply pass that signal through you do need it to be a relatively solid signal. But it's relatively straightforward. It's just metal going back and forth. So it's not doing anything smart. These mounts allow you to just kind of put a long string of them along. And what's nice about this is it's kind of a modular setup. So there's SDI versions and XLR versions of all of these mounts. And so you basically get a convenience panel that is just got holes in it all the way across. And you simply add what you want into those into those convenience panels. And so, so some of them might be um, XLR. Some of them might be, um, you know, they can be a lot of different things, uh, XLR, SDI, USB, HDMI, uh, Ethernet, all of those things can be in one convenience panel. And so, uh, and Neutrik, I think, makes all of those options. So I would uh, definitely uh, recommend that. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York. And he says, to the panel, anyone able to share what projects you're working on this week? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, uh, recently we've been doing a lot of... Um, like award show videos that are going to play into big conferences. And uh, co uh, conveniently, 
Uh, they're usually uh, like a host and three people. I've been using a lot of Zoom ISO. Uh, I record, uh, I, I use my, my little pretend Zoom ISO rig using uh, the, the HDMI breakout things into the Zoom uh, ATEM Mini Extreme ISO. So I, I have the four heads. I pre-build the four up with their pretty artwork that they supplied me. And I record the four up and the four ISOs. And I multicam those together. And um, I've also been utilizing a feature in Zoom. Uh, I hope everybody knows about it, where if you do a cloud record and you turn on the right settings in the back end, you can get an isolated audio track of each person. Obviously, this doesn't work if you're doing a live show, but I'm an editor, so I'm just recording stuff for stuff uh, for for edits. And I've been doing a lot of those lately. Good, Bill. Uh, my A project this week, I'm working on a piece. It's a video piece and a, kind of an explainer for the Natural History Museum that's in Balboa Park here in San Diego. It's called the Nat, and they've been in business for a, a gazillion years. Uh, people don't understand as much that they're not just a display museum. They have teams of archaeologists and scientists that go out and scour this part of the world, uh, the area entirely around San Diego. And um, they do actual research out there, and they have in their basement just tons of samples of particular things, whether it's um, the carcasses of different species that have evolved over the course of years or whatever it is. So it's been really fun. I have to say there have been a couple of challenges about it. More and more scientists out in the field are just shooting things on iPhones. So there's a lot of coverage. Some of it is from bigger cameras, but a lot of it nowadays is just following that the best camera you got is the one with you. So some of our best shots, particularly close-up shots of things they have unearthed out in the field research, are coming out of iPhones. So it's a combination of bigger cameras, historic footage, uh, and contemporary stuff like that. The other thing that's fun is that my wife has been dabbling more and more in voiceover, and they asked her to do the scratch track, and I've just been enjoying that. She did a fabulous job, and that's part of the project this time. So we're having fun with that. Good, Tom. Well, office hours is my expensive habit, so I've been dipping my toe into the world of Dante. Audinate has some really great training classes out there. I have already passed certification for levels one and two. So this week, I'm going for number three. Go, Jeffrey. So I am, uh, two things. Uh, first of all, getting prepared for NAM and NAB. So that's just uh, trying to get all figure out where all my gear is. And then get that in order so when it's time to go, I can have it all packed up, ready to go. And then the, the other thing was I've been working on this. I've, I I get a lot of these uh, lower-end video things, like for instance, and, and and stuff that I don't normally use, like for instance, uh, we have the uh, Yellow Box Pro here. So I've been uh, I wanted to actually have a setup that was super easy to set up and tear down, and it was self-powered. So I have these, uh, uh, well, Geniverse has these uh, home power boxes that are meant for emergency use uh, when your power goes out in the house, but they can actually hold onto a stream. So what I did was uh, I'm, I'm playing with two PTZ cameras and a single, uh, a single point, uh, my, my Sony 4K camera going into the Yolo Box Pro. And then, of course, uh, the PTZ cameras being controlled by a joystick and with that, uh, going out, setting up, 
at a live event, not using the sound, uh, not using anything from the venue, uh, the table I bring in, the chair I bring in, everything I bring in myself, set it up and then run the, uh, including the popcorn and run everything. And then when it's time, I can tear it down. And I, in the first test here, I got it set up within 20 minutes and I got it tore down within 15 minutes and really easy to do. And uh, the like, no streaming or anything like straight up recording, uh, but uh, I'm going to start thinking about how how I can stream that out and uh, if I want to use the Yola box as the uh, as the driving uh, uh, switcher and or go to a machine with the NDI or go to a machine with HDMI and uh, and something that'll capture those uh, HDMI inputs. Yeah, and um, for me, I'm bidding on a bunch of concerts <laughs> for the fall, so I'm, I'm working on bids. Uh, that's most, mostly what I'm working on. I got six concerts, I think, in the fall, potentially. And so I'm working on those bids, and um, and I uh, uh, we're doing some R&D related to, you know, streaming to the venues and so on and so forth, so we're working on that. And then um, for me, uh, I'm also getting ready to move the Michael Krasny show really to the SDI. HD, I've been threatening to do this for a little while and we got part of the way there um last week uh but um we're going to be moving to the hdmi mini extreme with uh you know every it'll be kind of doesn't matter whether people are in the room or not in the room so it'll be they're on zoom they're getting we're getting it from zoom iso if we get it from the room we're getting it from you know we're getting bigger cameras and one of the things about what we're doing there is that the pit is right below our office uh, in at, at 3210 and we ran fiber down there and Dante and con- connectivity. And so what we're working on is getting to a point where we only have to take lights, cameras, and mics down there. And we, everything else gets run back up to us um, so that we don't have to do much of a setup down there. So we're working on on that process uh, this week. Next question. Next question comes from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Anyone on the panel have new uses or a new workflow for using the Stream Deck Plus? I don't have any new ones. Usually what happens when I figure out what to do, I have to admit, I'm a little bit lazy. And so when I'm looking at new apps of what I want to do, I go to a, there's a, a website called sideshowfx.net and um, sideshowfx builds the templates for you. <laughs> so there's a bunch of templates. I use the one I've been using the Stream Deck Plus for is the is using it with Resolve because there's a Resolve template and I'm able to tap on a bunch of things and make adjustments really quickly. And I found that to, it definitely speeds things up. Um, and I didn't really think about, I've always thought about Stream Deck as kind of a live tool, but really looking at it as a convenience tool for, um, you know, for using other apps. Uh, there's now a template for Final Cut Pro. So I'm looking at that, that they have a template, not for the Stream Deck, for, but for your iPad for Cinema 4D, which I was super excited about. So, um, so anyway, so I'm looking at a couple of those templates right now. Um, next, and just another quick reminder uh, that, uh, and we'll get to John here in a second, that you can still ask questions. Uh, we've got a little bit of room for this question. So if you have quick questions, and most importantly, as we get near the end of the hour, vote on those questions because as we run out of time, we'll pick the ones that have the most votes. Uh, go ahead, John. Jonas just told us about some app, though. I can't remember specifically what he was using it for. And Fenwick also has one as well. I don't know what he's using it for. Stream Deck um, Plus, Chris. Stream Deck Plus. What are you using? What are you using the Stream Deck Plus for, Chris? It, it's actually not even plugged in right now. Oh, okay. I, I found I found the fact that I mean it, it it has prospect. It's cute to have these knobs, but until I can really assign the knob to something that I need, I mean, there's some sort of standardized things, and I and I think I'm not saying there aren't people that are using it successfully, but it's it's not controlling the things that I want to uh, uh, use. Also, there's 
really interesting tie-ins to the Wavelink software, which is a digital mixer-esque device, which gives you the ability to have two mixes, one for your ears and one that you stream, which is basically what we've been doing with SoundDesk. The problem is uh, it doesn't work most of the time. I mean, it's, it seems like it's going to work. It acts mm-hmm. like it's about to work, but I can't get it to actually work. Maybe it's me. Usually it is. But uh, I couldn't get it to, to do what I wanted it to do. Right. Good, Tom. Well, kind of off topic for office hours, I was watching a Stream Deck implementation on YouTube on a uh, site called Smart Home Solver. And they had tips on how to use your Stream Deck for things that don't even relate to audio and video, but yes, controlling things around your home. Yeah, yeah. You definitely can tie tie a lot of those things in. I have to admit that I I get up says I'm I, what I'm using my not so much my Stream Deck Plus for, but my I have a Stream Deck. It's to control my my little um you know this this my little uh, telestrator, so I can very quickly move through things and colors, and I can make the um you know the colors you know thicker and and I can make them thinner, and, and it's all tied into the Stream Deck. And for me, that's the that has been the big update. The big thing is now I have to think about what do I design the buttons as? And I'm, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of time there. <laughs> like, I just look at it like that's a, that's a big area of time for me to fill. Um, go ahead, Bill. I don't know if this is plus or minus for Chris's thought, but I just was, I've integrated a Thunderbolt 4 dock into my voice booth because I had some extra things and the MacBook Air doesn't have a lot of ports. And I couldn't get it to work. It was driving me nuts. And so I called tech support and I they responded by email with a, Here's what you do. Take everything out of it. Leave it alone for, you know, 45 seconds to make sure all of its internal memories are clear. Plug things in in this order and particularly your computer only into the front USB-C jack, not any of the ones in the back, and then power it up and let us know what happens. And sure enough, when I did everything in exactly the order they specified... It came to life and worked, and it just reminds me of those old uh, SCSI days and things like that, where if you didn't get things correct so that its internal smarts could figure out what it was looking at first, second, and third, it, it was a brick until I did it correctly. Once I did it correctly, it came to life and everything worked. So I'm going back to my old thinking about once you make something work, figure out how you did it and follow that path every time so it doesn't stop working. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, how much difference does a calibration plugin like SonarWorks Sound ID Reference make when working in an untuned room or with headphones? And he's got the link there. Uh, you know, I think that you're all, you're always going to want to try to find a, a, a way to um, do some of these these pieces here. And I think this is still referring to a simulator. Is that is that what we're is that is that what we're talking? Yeah, it's it's. Um, You definitely want to count. You, you definitely want something like this to calibrate it um, to make sure that you're there. I think you just want to make sure that you're not thinking about the headphones as speakers and the speakers as headphones. They're they're different spaces. So um, so I, I I don't know anybody that's actually used this. When I look at it, I go, oh, that's really good. <laughs> Someone may have used it on the forum. <laughs> if you've used it, go ahead and throw it in the comments. Uh, but I've I've not seen it in action. Uh, next question. Gordon Light in Los Angeles, California says, when creating a lighting kit for interviews, are 200-watt LED lights enough, or should brighter lights be included? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Bill. 
So how much light a device puts out is one of the metrics that I pay a good little bit of attention to for this reason. If you have too much, it's pretty easy to lower it using scrims or gels or turning down the power supply if it allows that. If you don't have enough, the only solution you have is to add more devices to get enough. Now, that said, there are some use cases where too much light is a very bad thing. And I have a couple of, I run across a couple of them in my life where I had a, a source that was so bright that even with gelling the heck out of them, I just didn't feel, I, th I feared I was burning up a lot more energy and heat than I needed and then putting a whole bunch of stuff in it to get the amount of light cut down so that it was where I wanted it to be. So um, 200 watt LED, I, I, you know, I would look for some metrics in terms of how much light does it put out? What is the fall off over distance? And that's going to change depending on whether it's a point source or a panel or something like that. There's just a lot of, of fiddly things to learn about lighting. Uh, but Brighter lights can be useful in that circumstance where you can always cut them back. You can't really increase them past their maximum power rating. Next question. Rob Bullock in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin says, um, uh, two key lights, FX30 and SM7B. Am I? Yeah. Okay. SM7. SM7B directly into a Rodecaster Pro 2. Any issues with this setup? I only require one camera, so not sure if I'd get much use out of an ATEM Mini. What else would be a must-have or nice to have? The use case is four hours a day for meetings. We are a fickle crowd. That's exactly the end. We didn't know anything about the FX30 and how we're all like, okay, we're done. We're, we're, we've, we've moved on. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I think that I think that the, those that's pretty good. I think that I don't know, uh, depending on how many mics you're using, I don't know how much you need the Rodecaster Pro. You know, so I, that would be the only thing I would look at there from a price perspective. Uh, that's a lot of, unless you're really using all of those bits and pieces, I don't know if it buys you much. So um, I might expend my money in other places there. I think, I think it's like $600. And so if you go a little higher, you get a Mix Pre 3. And if you go a little uh, lower, you get Zoom and a variety of other interfaces there. So, and I'm just not sure. You just got to make sure that you're actually going to use the features. And, and I'm not saying that the Broadcaster isn't worth it. I'm just saying that, it, that you'd have to make sure that you're going to actually use those features to make it worth it. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, and if you use the SM7B and you don't get the Roadcaster Pro 2, you will need to find an interface to get it into the computer. So mm -hmm. an MV7 might be the better uh, solution so you can get a USB rather than an XLR output. Uh, next question. Bob Sturdivant in San Antonio, Texas is up next. Any recommendations for portable mass storage? And he's looking for 12 terabytes or greater that works well with Mac OS that doesn't break the bank, please. Go ahead, Tom. 12 terabytes that doesn't break the bank and is portable. Well, I use the Western Digital Elements here, and it's eh, pretty portable, and it does have a little power adapter, but uh, for $250, 12 terabytes, that's not bad. Yeah, it, it depends on what what size of the bank you're trying to break. So I think that, that you know you just have to decide you know what what is it worth and how portable and how fast and there's a lot of other bits and pieces in there that you want to look at. Uh, there's a there are the I can't think of the name of it right now off the top of my head. I have two of them over my shoulder, but I can't see them from here. Uh, the OWC the, what a couple of us have are these OWC NVMe uh, systems, and so these are four NVMe's. 
you can get to 16 terabytes per, relatively easily, I think even up to 32 uh, if you use them. And they, they do get a little pricey, a couple thousand dollars, but they are super fast. Um, there's no moving parts and uh, they are, you know, and they're super solid and you can just throw them in your backpack. And I have done that many a time. We take them. They the travel I, well. Yeah, they travel well. And, and mainly we, we take them to, uh, to, to places for backup. So if we want to pull a bunch of stuff off of something to back it up, this is what we, what we use. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was going to say I always buy try to buy all my drives in pairs. I don't I don't like having only one drive, particularly something like 12 terabytes where whatever you're putting on it, you've got a lot of it, which means that you're at the one point of failure. I've had enough times in the course of my career where I plugged a drive in and suddenly it isn't there anymore to ever want just a single point of failure to take away unbacked up information. So I tend to buy pairs. And sometimes if it's really important stuff, I will use an old drive that I know works. I will pair that with the new drive I'm in for a while. And then I maybe in six months or so, I'll buy another one of the drives, hoping that I will get in a second batch because we've seen circumstances where a drive manufacturer would just for a while have kind of bad drives for a particular sales piece. So even buying two drives in the same batch can sometimes reveal a problem I'm just pretty persnickety about data that way. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with the, the you know the, the the quality of the of the MVMEs as well. So the one that I talked about in the past, uh, or the one that I just talked about, the o, it's the OWC. Um, it is a OWC Express M M four M two is what is what we have been using. If you buy OWCs, um, they're four terabyte memory. I think it's in the. 400 and some dollar range so you're talking about eight about two thousand dollars the enclosure is 350 dollars then you buy them buy the memory separately uh, but you can get stuff like crucial uh, for as little as 220 and so you between eleven hundred dollars and and uh eleven hundred and two thousand dollars you can end up with a raid that is pretty fast you know and, and 16 in 16 terabytes and we've been uh i you know i've used them for projects i find that a lot of my projects have been we, we have eight terabytes because a lot of my projects tend to be like an eight terabyte project and i don't know why they all fit into that um but they but we find it's really easy to throw them on the biggest problem is figuring out where you're going to put it when you're done <laughs> so we use uh, spinning spinning raids or not spinning raids but spinning drives and we back them up to those um, next question uh, Tim O'Brien in Chicago says, big fan of Bill's hard shadows and wallscapes. How are you lighting your background? Pin spots, louvers, honeycombs? Uh, none of the second stuff. So I've got, I bought a bunch of little small pin spots and I originally had the lightscape done with those. Um, Three of those really inexpensive ones have burned out over the course of time, and I haven't replaced them. So what you're seeing now behind me is a couple of slightly more expensive pin spots, one of which which is creating the that highlight on the old Mac that I love, my first Macintosh from 19... <laughs> back in the late days. Um, the other, the wall light there is that same little light positioned close to the curtains and acting as a accent slash there. And I think it works in part because of the green banker's light that I put on a dimmer and put there just uh, to do that. So there's really only three lights lighting my background other than the spill from my key lights. And I have a Lowell Tota LED inside of a large softbox here, which is providing my main key light. And then to get some light in my eyes, there's uh, a small four by eight inch panel from newer 
that is just acting as a highlight. And that's my whole lighting thing. So I've really only got, I think, five lights going on both key lights and background here. Next question. Uh, next question comes to us from Alex Lindsay in Novato, California. Has anybody played with Midjourney's new Describe? You go, John. Alex, can I do a quick screen share? Yeah. So if you search for Chris Fenwick on, on the Googles, you'll find this picture of, of Chris. And if you do Describe in Midjourney, it gives you four different possible uh iterations of what it thinks it is a man wearing a black shirt pointing a camera in front of multiple digital screens and it does find after effects there chris is that after effects on that one on your mac back there so it's uh, not perfect yes it is it, it says all kinds of interesting stuff heavy use of palette knives avocado punk i don't know what that is colorist particular inking colorist colorist uh but this is pretty interesting uh, sky and i just Started playing with this yesterday. Um, and this is also embedded in OpenAI, but it, currently it's turned off right now. Here you go, Jeffrey. Yeah, what I really like about this is if you're trying to create uh, uh, metadata for a photo, this is a, this might be a fun way to do it. I started with uh, using some of the mid-journeys I created to see how it would think the keywords would go to actually create the item. Like for instance, I did this one where Darth Vader was riding a unicorn in the on the galaxy edge or whatever. And so I brought that photo in, it gave me four different options. I love the fact that it'll uh, actually make some links. Uh, like for instance, there's one image that had like Scott Adams and a link to Scott Adams to, to find out who that is. Uh, then uh, what I did was I tried a couple other things, the actual photos. One was a dish that I had a few weeks ago, I think it was at CES or something like that. And I brought it in and it was actually telling me all the foods that it saw inside the dish so I could possibly recreate that dish at home. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it was pretty interesting stuff. I think that what's cra crazy about it is, is that, you know, a lot of us try to look at an image. How do I recreate an image that looks just like something else in, inside a mid-journey? And it's just been this huge lift of us trying to figure out, like, how do I describe it? And so what's interesting is, is it's giving you a back end to seeing how mid-journey see things, how it draws things. Because it's, it's reverse engineering that image and telling you what, this is what I see. And it gives you four options. And what's cool is at the bottom, just like you would have the grid that you would pick, you just hit make it make an image out of those and so it, it's letting you you do it and then it lets you just immediately throw it back into the system to see you know what you get and of course you know one one of the things that you can do there is of course then just tweak little things like oh i like that but i want it to be somewhere else i like this but i don't want something else and 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 right now it also creates images that never existed in the world it's a little it's kind of crazy like i put a lakers image in just because it was the random thing that i grabbed and what you end up with is a whole bunch of Lakers, you know, shot, shots that never existed in the world. <laughs> so it's a, it's an interesting thing. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. He says, Blackmagic Design just introduced the Video Hub 12G range that can route SD, HD, and Ultra HD in the same box. Would a Constellation 4K be not too far behind? And he's got a link there to the Video Hub. Yeah, it does feel like the, the, the drip, drip, drip of, of black magic is just going to be the, every week we get a couple new things. And, uh, and I think that this was worth hanging out for the extra hour there. So I think that this is really interesting. So it's a less expensive 12G um, capable uh, router. So that's interesting in itself. Uh, and then in addition to that, it's, it's now doing, uh, in the past, routers generally don't do this, or at least the black magic ones. They 
they take the format that you gave it to them and they put it right back out again. So this one is actually able to um, scale, you know, thing or move things around in, in different in different ways. And so it's it's a really uh, interesting. I think it is. I think it's doing convert up down cross conversions, um, which is a, is an odd thing to have uh, available in a in a router. If it's not, if it's just saying it can do all those formats, then it's uh, let's see here. Yeah, I think that it can. Yeah. If it's just saying multiple formats, I, and I just saw it because this is the this question just came up, and I'm not entirely sure because they've all, always been able to do multiple formats <laughs> to go in. The question is, is it doing it? And you wouldn't expect it coming out of an up-down cross. Um, yeah, I don't think that that's any, anything new, actually. The multi-format stuff is all stuff that you've been able to do. Anything that comes in just goes out the same that it came in at, so it's not it's not a big deal. Um, they do look, you know, they, they're the new kind of format. The price has dropped a bit. Um, and so, you know, with Blackmagic, we constantly get that. I think that, you know, it's, it's great. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, I think next week will be exciting. I, a lot of companies, by the way, we, next week will be busy for us because I think a lot of companies are um, are going to try to get ahead of NAB. That's what it feels like. And they're going to try to, um, you know, get their get their stuff out before NAB starts. So next week should be full of announcements. All right, we are jumping into our second hour. We're going to be talking about uh, super sources. We, we're going to keep on coming back to these maybe once a year, just taking a look at things and having a discussion. It's a new set of people. It's a new set of people looking at them. It's a new audience. And it's definitely something a lot of us do. So if you've got questions about super sources, how to construct them, how to design them, um, definitely throw those in. And uh, and what we're going to do is... is uh, um, we're going to take a look at a couple of them. Some of them we've seen before. Some of them we haven't. Um, and I will say, I, what I thought was interesting uh, collecting these was things have changed over the last year, and not so much in the design, but in the use of them. Uh, one of the things that I found was a lot less broadcasters are using super sources, and I'm not sure exactly why, um, but it was a lot harder to find them than there was in the past. Um, the other thing is, is that the Overseas, I'll show you. I only have one overseas because almost all the overseas ones were that I was able to grab at least off of YouTube TV and off of YouTube were very basic, <laughs> like you know, and just very like not really work. You know, like we're just going to put things in, and I thought that was interesting as well. And and so it's it's a it's a fascinating move when you as you keep on watching these things. So we'll um, again, if you've got questions as we start to talk about these, we're going to show you a couple different versions of these and hopefully they drive, uh, drive a conversation. Otherwise it'll be a short hour. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and, um, let's see if I can get this working here. Um, and so I compilate, I, I did a little compilation of these. And so, um, this is the BBC. This is about as basic as you can get. <laughs> and I, I checked a couple shows. I was like, is this it? Is this, is this, is this all you got? And the answer is, Yes, that's all they got. <laughs> so, so the BBC, is, it really is like, these are two different shows. Now, what I did think is interesting is they they are making decisions about where they're, um, you know, what they're, what, where they're grabbing onto these things. So they, if you look at this, um, this here, um, this, where, where that ends, and then we go to the next one, you see that they've, they've kind of, this is more, this is an equal section here um, that's, you know, that's, that's connecting those, those out. Um, and, I think that what I would say is that I actually, you know, of course, we're very gray based <laughs> in, in office hours. And so the gray doesn't bother me, you know, that, that much. I do think it's interesting to have any sans serif in a, in a, um, a lower third. We're not talking about lower thirds today, but, but I was just, I was like, really? Um, anyway, so, uh, the, there is movement up here. So if you watch it, 
very subtly, it may be getting compressed out, so you may not see a lot of it, but there is a little bit of movement across, there it is, let's see a little line. Let's go back, let's see, see, there's a little line up here. So there's, there. it's not that it's completely, at first I thought it was just completely, just like this light gray, um, but but anyway, so this is, but but here you have that super source, here you have some looping background, but it's very, very subtle. And this is about as subtle as we're gonna see, um, you know, for the, as far as examples go. Now here you have um, another one here. Now one thing that's interesting that I that I thought was interesting here is that this lower third is um, it's actually overlapping, and this is kind of I always consider that a no no, is to have my super source go underneath my lower third. <laughs> like I just as a visually, you'll see. We'll look at a couple other examples. Visually, it drives me a little crazy when people do that. So, um, but you know, there's a lot of you know these are pretty well designed. So what you what you want to look at here is you've got this header um, that's up here that goes across and it's got a little bit of a drop shadow. So this creates kind of a, a shelf at the top here of, of what that looks like there. Um, and then you've got these colors that are all, you know, and slowly moving to give it motion here. Um, now, one of the things that you want to look at here, and we'll go back here, is one thing about super sources that, you know, a lot of people ask, why do we... Um, why do you need multiple MEs? Like, oh, one ME is fine. Like, why would you need two MEs or three MEs or four MEs? And the reason, this is a good example of, of what we're doing here. So you may want to have, be able to control what this background looks like, but they're cutting here. So this is cutting. So this is a, an ME, right? There is an ME that, or it could be a playout. It could be a playout put there, but you can, the, the ability to cut, you know, into that, that, that'd be another ME as the source for that window, as opposed to, um, you know, having to try to figure out what that input is all the time. So that's one thing you want to look at. Other thing I always pay attention to is whether they're putting any borders on that, um, which they're not in this case. Um, and so anyway, so then you have, um, this is, you know, this is from NBC. Now this is about as busy as you can get, uh, you know, as, as, as far as this goes. Um, and so here you have like a skyline someone did a design for it. You've got some reflections. So they're doing kind of this reflected background here. Now here they are separating themselves by these by these edges here um, that you have um, that are there, so that's you know that's kind of placing them you know into that area. Now, what's interesting is is there's a couple of shots. I don't think I see it here, but when I was recording this, they're in the same table. They're all looking straight ahead. It's weird. It's weird to have people in the same room looking up at the window. The thing because there's a point where he looks at her, and you get that oh they're in the same room together. It's like, I'm sorry, but that's just weird. Anyway, so to put it in the super source. Um, is the middle guy coming remotely? I think the middle guy is. There it is. There it is. See? He is looking at her, and she's looking at him, and I think he is remote. And I get why they're doing it, but it just weirds me out. I don't know why it is. There's something about if someone looks at them, when, when, I, when I'm in a super source, um, and someone looks at each other, like that's the big, for me, a big no-no is to not is to not look at each other you just keep looking forward uh go ahead john i i was just gonna sue to, to uh bounce this off you and ask your thoughts about this outside of the black magic world i i never heard the word super source until yeah, you told us about super source three years ago i don't um, know i, I, I just know heard what, it two up four up etc yeah, etc i i don't know if i don't I, i've heard super source used in other in other cases um, but usually it's all, a lot of times it's yeah two ups and four ups and and um, those types of things. I don't know. I mean, it's 
Black Magic didn't create the word super source. There's definitely other people that have used it, um, but but it is something that is much more Black Magic based than than others. Um, so, but it, but I think that it defines it well, you know, as far as what we're looking at here. This is another example where, in some cases, you would these are video inputs, but in some cases, you would have this be each one of these could be an ME that you could be changing things for and and putting things into, um, you know, to make that work. But again, this is this part here is the thing that I would try to avoid. Um, you know, as you, as you go through that, um, there, let's see if I can, now I, I must've clicked on something here. Hold on. That is really busy, but you know, CNBC is so much a, oh my gosh. you know, my leave eyes. on all day for people who yeah, are and all this in the stuff. The other market. thing is, is all this down here just destroys your monitors <laughs> you know, because it just, it stays up all the time. Now here's an interesting way that they got from one place to the other. So the person's talking and there's different ways. And we'll, we'll look at this a little bit. A lot of times you just cut to the super source, but here they used a sweeper. So you can see that sweeper was used to get to the super source here. Now this is a super source with a graphic. So this is not, it's a little, it's, borderline super source, you know, because they're not really, it's a graphic that's being played up there. Um, but I do think that they, you know, it's kind of kind of nice to have this little extra header that they that they put in here. And um, we'll talk about graphics on another day, but but it's, um, you know, I, I do kind of like the transition here. I mean, they the one thing about C CNBC is they, they put money into their graphics. <laughs> and so, so that's, you know, that's another way to kind of um, frame folks up. Now, here's, a, here's, a, here's another one from MSNBC. And, um, here you have, uh, this is a pretty, you know, pretty boring, but somewhat effective movement. So you've got these things that are just simply just constantly scaling out. So that's it. <laughs> like that's, what, that's what they're doing. Um, they are bordering it here with this white, you know, this, uh, this white area here. Um, so they kind of give it a frame. This is something that what I was talking about earlier, that they've been careful not to have something go over top of what they're already doing. Um, and so this is more of a, you know, a, uh, built and you'll see if i'm not sure if you'll see it in this capture but down here you'll often see that's where the lower third that is a window for the lower third to you know to actually to actually work there hey alex um, that that's showing pacific time and you recorded this so that makes sense do you think they're doing four separate feeds for the four time zones so that they're putting a specific overlay for each time zone into that time zone no i don't think so i hmm. think that they just leave it the way they i think that they um are so it's uh, all west coast time um the well i think this is all east coast time actually um i believe i don't know where they're putting that but i don't think that they're generally they're not punching that in it's you know the, it's what the time zone that they have that that's moment. what i was interested in i wondered if that overlay was maybe coming more localized and they had four different feeds for the four different time zones that'd yeah, be I interesting i don't think so um the uh this, by the way, is why people want clean feeds. <laughs> if you're asking, like, why why does a network want a clean feed? A clean feed is is the the graphic here uh, without uh, you know without the lower thirds, and you know a lot of times the network feed is clean. And the reason that they want it to be clean is so that when they put their graphics on it, it's not going over top of somebody else's graphics. Um, so that's if you're wondering. Bugs. You're wondering why do they ask for the clean feeds? That's why. That's why they ask for the clean feeds. <laughs> so it's so that their stuff doesn't go over top of it. Uh, here you can see another one that's kind of broken up into that into that area there. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. I I will say, doing these captures, one thing you're struck with: just watch some of these and put your headphones in and listen to how horrible the audio is <laughs> like the, these, these, uh, studios are hard surfaces. They're wearing labs and it's just intolerable. <laughs> like with headphones, I guess you can wear it. You can listen to it when you're like 
somewhere in the house doing something else or you don't have a good stereo system or you're just watching through your TV, I'm sure it's fine. But when you listen to their headphones watching this, it's just so echoey and you're hearing all this extra sound from them moving the papers. And it is, it's just really, it's really a bummer. And then on top of that, it's the, I forgot, every time I do the super sources, I'm, I'm restruck with how, how much dribble comes out of our, our national news. Anyway, so um, the uh, uh, this one, I really, I have to admit, out front is always one that I kind of use. I really like their design. <laughs> so I like, I like the, the, um, and I know that this is a little over the top, the little lens flares, but it does give it this kind of glassy feel to it. Um, and they're, and this is where they're putting these lower thirds in. Now they could be supering these over top of the graphic, but a lot of times I think, and, and they are here because you can see that it's coming out of that graphic. It's actually, so this is a key over top of the, um, the super source. It's not, a super it's not a key inside of the super source and you can tell because this highlight is crossing over that edge um that's there so um but i but i like it i do like like ours i like blue in the background because i feel like skin tones look better when they're not competing with red colors and and other um so blue green you know those types of cool colors are great colors to have as backgrounds because it it complements the skin tone when you use warm colors like yellow and orange and red, you end up with the the. I feel like people don't people don't look as good, you know, as they you know as they go through it. Now you can see what they did there. Now this is kind of an interesting piece a puzzle of what's going on here. So this key is sitting over top of this, and so it fades out for a second. This transition, though, I believe, is inside of that super inside of that ME. So that is a transition that's being fired into that ME, which is Hold then on. feeding into this. Look at the upper right hand corner, though. It's it's hanging out of the border a little bit. The upper right hand corner, it's just like at pixel, maybe, right there. Mm. I don't see it. I see that it's close to the same color there, but I don't see it going. I don't see it leaking. Okay. I think it's all, I think it's all in there. Yeah, I think there's part where the color matches it. Um, but that's, again, why you, what you have to think about when you're thinking about these super sources is stacking them. How are you going to stack the super sources, you know, into what you're doing there? And, and how are you going to put the MEs into, into making that actually, um, you know, work? So this is, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, more CNN, again, this kind of uh, soft background that isn't getting in your way, um, but still moving. You can see that there's still some movement back there. And that can be really, I've done those with replicators in, in motion. <laughs> you throw a bunch of replicators in and let them do their thing. And they're kind of moving around slowly, interacting with each other. Uh, you, and here you can see, now what you can see here, um, in addition to the fact that CNN should go to jail for what they do to these these uh fonts stretch the font they stretch the font so anyway sorry i'm sorry there should be they're being um, indicted in new york city today yeah exactly they're being indicted yeah it's a, but <laughs> the i font hear it's bad after them <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the font police are, are chasing them down there's going to be a 12 hour there's going to be a 12 hour tour uh, or chase scene that we're going to go in there all over all over this stretched font oh see see look at that so that's what it's kind of supposed to look like it's probably stretched even then but look this is that that is a travesty. Like I'm just going to keep on going back to it. Like don't don't ever do that in your. That's own interesting. Shows. I didn't know that. I didn't realize they, they had just, stretched it oh, to yeah. fill a oh, space. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Alex they has just, been talking about this for years. <laughs> for so, years. So just awesome. remember, Alex from CNN. Alex, just remember, <sighs> the world was perfectly happy with VHS for three decades. <laughs> 
That's all I'm saying. Just, why are you doing that to us? Well, at least somebody didn't set it that way. They they oh set God. it right and then they stretched it out. Know. So it's the I don't even know if it's right. I don't know what I don't even know. I don't even know what's right anymore when when they do that to the thing. Anyway, so so anyway, um, but what you can see here is that they they have thought, unlike the one that we saw before. There's a been a, there's a lot of thought to where this this goes and how it fits underneath and with the. Um, you know, with the graphic that they have here. So everything kind of, they they designed a bigger, the whole story of what they were, you know, doing there as far as a graphic goes. Um, I can imagine actually, Alex, how that meeting went when they came up with the stretch the font thing. So here's what happened. It'll be easy. The, lower line the lower line disappeared and then a producer said, but we have empty space on the screen. <laughs> well, new stuff will come. Yeah, but what are we going to do while there's empty space now? Well, yeah. what do you want to do? Well, why don't we just stretch it out? What? Just what? just stretch it out. What? Yeah, just make it bigger. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. It, uh, it, words it, bigger, easier to read. Sure. And then, and, then, and then whoever was building it, I think, like prepped their prepped their LinkedIn page and started applying for it. And them. quit the next day. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I'm out of here. I am so out of here. Anyway, um, this one, so this is again where you want, this is a BBC reporting about um, you know, a, a, a summit, the summit for democracy or whatever. And so here you can see a more, a more typical one that you see in corporate a lot. Um, so this is, uh, um, but now what we've seen also with super sources is using them for, um, using super sources as a, as a way to bring in, uh, interpretation. So sign, sign interpretation, you know, ASL into it. And, and this is a pretty good design of it. A lot of times people put this up here, which is really annoying. I think this is, this works really nicely as far as putting it down here. I, I think that this background is a little dark. Um, I don't, we're not really getting into dark in the backgrounds, but I felt like it was a little dark, um, you know, to, I think that the, the, our, our person fades into it a little bit, but I do think that one of the things you can see is a lot of thought process related to this. And we're not getting to this directly, but since we're here, um, you have the blues that are all going through here. She's wearing blue. The background is dark blue. Like they they thought it through. Like a lot of times it's kind of cobbled together. And, um, and I think that was a pretty well, uh, well thought out uh, process. Obviously, they're waiting for some graphic up here because they've left a, I hope that they're waiting for some graphic because they left a huge Black gap up there. Only Bobble is that hashtag getting killed by the lower. Black well, line. that's because this is, this, this is getting killed. It is something you have to think about when you're thinking about this. The advantage of putting something here is that it's not going to get cut off by other people's graphics. You know, this is the BBC reporting about something. So when you think about the super sources and you think about your flow design, you know, by if we, if to, to Bill's point, if we took this and moved it up here, because you have a, a video here, it's kind of protecting this area. So this is, this area here and this area here are very brandable. And so they did a good job here, but, but they didn't do as good a job down here of making that as, making that work as well. Notice the upper right-hand corner. It's a Mac screen scrape. That's no, no, that's that's not it. It's, it's me. Oh, is that yours? That's mine because oh. it's on all of them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this is this is the, we don't want to spend any money on our super sources um, by CNN. Um, we're just like, we're not going to put any borders on them. We're not going to do anything else. We're just going to take the images and just stick them on top. <laughs> like, you know, like, and I will say, when we, when we talk about this as the background, wow, is that background moving fast? Like in real time, that is really, you know, it's really sharp and it's, you know, it's designed to add energy, but I find that to be very, you know, and then and then I know we're not talking about, we're talking about um, super sources, but how many, 
how many times can you repeat the same thing? Step and repeat. Step and repeat oh, backgrounds. So bad. So bad. Like yeah. like CNN's design. Like I, I, they they it's it's functional, but like this is like the eighties called called and they want their backgrounds back. Um, and what uh, if the designer of this got upset because you know breaking news the tornado no. is serious and you've got to put that up well, and there's and no again, place for it in I the design. Aaron, <laughs> I look at Aaron Burnett and I'm like, you guys know you have somebody in the building that can do this well. <laughs> like, you know, like, somebody's doing this well, and then and then and then we end up with this, you know. And and the thing is, is that you don't need to do this if you are controlling the space. If you are controlling the space, just put it here and put something else here. You don't have if you're controlling the frame. Why, step and repeat is when you don't control the frame. It's for when you're in press and there's a red carpet and people are walking in and you don't know where they're going to be pointing. So you want to make sure you get your branding in. Doing it on an insert is just, I think the technical term for that is kookaluka. Um, I believe that that is the technical term. Here's, here's another version of it going fast. And so. Anyway. I will say this, Alex, if you go back to examples of the five up with Wolf and the four and the four people, and there we go. I have been in situations where you prep for one thing. You've done this. You prep for one thing, and at the last mm. minute, they go, oh, we have a fifth person. <laughs> yeah, but, but this is, you have a design. When you're doing a show every day, you have a design for every possible version of this that they can do. You know, and you, all you have to do, all, all I'm saying is it would be nice, like, this is just, I find this to be, like, this blends in so quickly into that background. All you need is a little, little, Light gray line, just two pixels wide, just going around it, just to separate it from the background. <laughs> it's like it's just like, and not look like you just haphazard. Yeah, your point, through, Chris. We have probably there. heard, you know, Shallon's stuck in traffic. You got to go to three now, yeah, but, and then you go to three. But the thing is, is that's a button. That should be a button press. Button push. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to do that should. But sometimes um, things like happen the, at the last minute. I don't think that that was a last minute thing. That's a design choice because all of, they're all like that. Hold on. All of his stuff is is at is four up, uh, the three up. They're just that's the design choice that that whoever did the graphics for that just decided we're not putting borders on it. And I'm sure they did it because they decided it was easier to, to not do that. Which is you know again when we look at this, this it's easier. It's, it's you know you can make great content or you can make it very watchable or very you can, easy to make. Easy to Build watch. the screen, stretch it out. Rarely Build twice. Rarely twice. Yeah. So here, here you can see it kind of integrated in here. You can see these light, these these subtle lines that are kind of creating a separation. I kind of like what they do up here, where there's a little bit of a highlight, and but there's a little this thin line that just kind of gives you some dimension. You know, up here. Here's another one of those little highlights there. Um, and and again, this is the. Um, you know, there. This is a, a logo. You know, a lower third that's really designed to go with everything else that they're doing down here. So that's another one there. Um, and uh, by the way, if you're wondering why there isn't any more Fox stuff, it was really hard to find super sources on Fox this morning. <laughs> I couldn't find, like I was like well, wandering around trying to find find them. And I was like, I think Fox does a pretty good job of design. And I just didn't, didn't get them in here this time. Now, here's something, this is a DVE move. It's not really a super source, but it's kind of one. And one of the things I just wanted to show here is that is a, when you see that, that means they're really doing a graphic. They're not just cutting to something. They're really doing a graphic move. And you can do that. And one of the things that I do a lot to get that that feel is using Mix Effect Pro inside of Final, in, inside of uh, the A10. We can have them all moving around. And 
animated and, and so on and so forth. Um, we, we didn't show as many of those uh, here because they don't do them very often. And I realized because it's hard, <laughs> like what, like I was like, oh, this is really easy with Mix Effect Pro, but it's hard to do it in most systems. Um, so anyway, so that's what we have uh, for the, some examples. So hopefully that drums up some, um, some thought process there. If you've got questions about those or ideas or comments about them, go ahead and throw them into Makana. Let's go to the first question. First question comes from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. How could an Apple TV be included in the signal chain of SuperSource workflow? Go ahead, Tom. Well, I find Apple TVs are the clue allowing many source types to connect into my ATEM. It allows my iPhone or my iPad to come in wirelessly. It also allows audio follow video when I need it. And even with an app, you can bring in NDI sources. Yeah, and, and the main thing you want to think about as you start to cut through those, this gets into the, you know, as you start to build those super sources, how many MEs do you have? And you, as you start to use super sources, you will get hungry for MEs. <laughs> so that you want to be able to keep on switching what's in that group. So if you're doing the Apple TV or cutting to something else, that's when you want to start having an ME that serves one or more of those super sources. Um, with the, that way, you're not trying to redefine what's in that box you're simply cutting you can continue to cut so that's one thing to think about there as far as getting the apple tv in one of the other things you want to consider is that the um the apple tv has uh hdcp which is the, the their um security uh built in and so uh so sometimes it won't show up on the switcher because it's it's going oh i can't the switcher goes i can't i can't look at it or it doesn't it doesn't have a return code to make that work um, there's a bug in, in some, uh, converters that are made in China that are usually the less expensive ones that will do the HTCP handshake and then they just won't, then they'll just pass it out SDI. <laughs> She's like, oh, well, there's no, there's no HTCP and SDI. So if you have an HDMI converter, not a, like a, a good one, like a Blackmagic or AJA, but a cheap one, um, a lot of times it will just do the handshake and then it will just push out a, a SDI out of it. And then if you convert it back to HDMI, it'll work just fine. <laughs> Next question. Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland says, how can I build a series of SuperSource presets on an ATEM2ME to allow a custom quad split of different camera angles each time? ATEM macros? Uh, and he's looking to automate this with um, QPilot for orchestral live streams. And he's got a link to the QPilot website. You know, I haven't used QPilot for this, but I will say that for almost anything that we're doing where we're defining a lot of super sources in ATEM, uh, we're using MixFX Pro. And, um, you know, I think that that is, that's what, what you see all the super sources that we do in this show and how we put those together are all using MixFX Pro. And those are being defined by Isadora asking for MixFX Pro to do certain things. And there's a lot of other bits and pieces to it. But um, it is really hard to use ATEM macros <laughs> to define that. So what you want to think about is uh, what I would recommend is thinking about how QPilot can interact with MixEffect Pro as opposed to QPilot talking directly to the ATEM with the macros. And the reason for that is that as you set up macros in an ATEM, you have to touch everything or it will just carry whatever setting it had before. And so the amount of touching that is required, you have to hit, what I mean by touching is you have to just move it up and down one thing so that it, it says this was changed. It's mind-numbing to do super sources where you have to make sure that absolutely every attribute that you are going to possibly change later has been touched for every macro. Or you, if you get, do them out of order, suddenly they don't do what you expect them to do because that setting wasn't changed. And it, it's super painful. 
like it is, you know, and I wouldn't recommend ever using the built-in macro tools um, for super sources uh, when I can use MixEffect Pro. It's, it's 50 bucks or something like that. I don't think, is, is that what MixEffect Pro is? I think it's $50 or whatever. Worth every penny. <laughs> like whatever it is, whatever that number is, it's worth every penny uh, to, to do it, um, to, to make that work. I, when we talk about super sources, if we're talking about ATEMs, don't even try them without it. I mean, you you, you want to have, you want to build those, those out and it's so easy and so fast to do that, just consider that part of the cost of buying the buying the computer, and they, it'll work on an M1 or on a on an iPad. Um, next question. Next question comes from Henry Ramos of Yonkers, New York. Where do you find tasteful backgrounds for your multi box shots? Good, Bill. Well, you can find a lot of them. I mean, most of the big stock houses have backgrounds that are designed to do this. If you want to save some money, though, you can also make them, don't forget. And for me, that's a process of finding something, uh, even with my iPhone. If I see something that I think is really pretty and I think would make a good background, let's say it's a plant that is kind of generally floating in the wind, I will shoot 30 seconds of that, bring it back onto my desktop, apply a boatload of Gaussian blur, even potentially um, slow-mo or things like that if I've shot it at enough frame rate to support that so it doesn't get jerky. And then you can turn it into a background that's just as good as the other ones out there. So you don't have to buy them, but there are certainly a lot of sources to buy them. Yeah, there's, it's, um, so, if you really want some of those, iStock Photo isn't isn't a bad place to find them. You can find a lot of loops. So those are um, the you know a variety of the stock companies will make loops that are just slowly moving. The one that we, I believe, the one that we have is iStock Photo. It might be something else. The, the Earth, where it is actually slowly moving. Um, that's there. It's like a digital Earth. And I thought about building it, and then I thought about how long it would take to do that, and then I just didn't didn't do that. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, so if you um, but having something slowly looped there. Um, I've been a real big fan of using Apple's Motion in Replicator because you can just set up a bunch of things that are just looping inside a Replicator that are designed to loop every four seconds or every eight seconds. And that's the that's the period in which they do whatever they're going to do in the Replicator. And what you do is you get a couple of them going. So one's, one's repeating every four seconds, one's doing every two seconds, one's doing every eight seconds. And they and they all kind of interact with each other, and so you end up with this kind of soft moving thing that not, never really feels like it's repeating. And the big thing with motion is that you can build those loops without having to do any kind of weird funkiness. You can build them so that they stop and end at a certain time, so they're going to be loopable when you get to the other end. It's going to just automatically go back to it. So I I built I built a lot of them in, inside of motion um, because of that reason, and just with a lot of basic shapes. Um, the other thing you can do is go out and simply take footage of things that you're interested in, whether those are night lights or the ocean or close-ups or whatever. And then you can either drop it out of focus in the camera or you can put it out of focus later. Um, so those are all things that you can also um, put together that that, that will work uh, really well. So those are some of the ways that you can put those backgrounds um, together. But one of the good, one of the best things to do as you look at these super sources is to really um, study them and figure out what what makes the most sense? What do you like? Like when you look at a super source and you immediately go, oh, I really like that. What about it do you like? And and try to really analyze that and figure out what you want to put back there. Next question. Tommy Shantz in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, what do you look for in a font for lower thirds? Are there colors to stay away from for text and fills? Uh, low contrast is hard for people. Um, generally, most you'll find that almost all lower thirds are going to be uh, white and black, you know, they're, 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 you know, as far as the, the text color, you may see some other colors there, but 
they generally have a fair bit of contrast between the two. And um, the other thing that you you tend not to get too artsy about it, they tend to be, you know, you're looking for, especially for a lower third, you're looking at readability. Um, that's really an important piece of the puzzle as opposed to getting too creative. When people get too creative, A, it is harder for people to read it and get it. And B, it makes you look like you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, like this is the first time. It, it, when you when you see fonts that are super, you know, flowery and all this other stuff and they've got all this animation, you're like, yeah, this is this is how it, this is how it begins. <laughs> you know, like this is how you're, you're getting started. It's cute. Uh, and then people, you know, realize after a while that people just want to see what's going on. Um, you know, if you spend an enormous amount of money, you can make them really great and animated. Uh, so if you're looking at like NFL football, it's one thing. But one thing I will also say in general about a lot of these things is look at the amount of complexity that you're adding for the for the ROI. What is the value of coming back on, you know, from doing that? And you want to be very careful of that because you can put, when you make things complicated like that, you make everything much harder at every step. This gets back into why CNN stretches things up and down. Now, I don't recommend that, but I also recommend thinking about like if I add this change and suddenly, I, like we had a client that wanted mortises, you know, instead of the edges, they wanted mortises around every single super source, you know, so that it was like they had like a very cybery kind of thing that they wanted around each one. In in the black magic world, that's not that's that's pretty pretty difficult. We ended up taking a switcher and running it th four signals through the switcher, and then and keying them in, and then running that out into the <laughs> into another switcher, so that we could so that and then we could animate them any way we wanted with Mixeffect. But it was it was not a not a trivial problem. Um, and now it. And, and again, what you do, this gets into the interface, what you do does make a difference. Like in a TriCaster, that would be nothing. You know, so so there are things that we get limited by on ATEM that that we may not get limited by in other platforms, especially software ones like vMix or OBS or TriCasters. Good, Bill. Um, there's also in typesetting, there's two different classes of fonts, serif and sans serif. Uh, sans serif generally are the more slabby, blocky fonts. Serifs are the little edges and things like Times Roman and things like that that make it a little easier to read on print pages, but they can be problems when it's mapped against a raster of video or something like that. In fact, all monitors tend to be rows of horizontal and vertical pixels. So if you use fonts that lean, if like you italicize things, you can get into some legibility problems, particularly as the fonts get smaller because you're trying to map onto a vertical and horizontal raster, something that leans a little bit. So some of the edges along the way will get a little icky. So generally, we most people, most of these graphics you see, try to stay away from serif fonts. They use sans serif fonts in relatively hard, uh, as big size as you can get. And they often do some sort of edge on them that's a contrast so that whether it's against a light background or a dark background, the, the font remains as readable as possible. I go ahead, Chris. You know, in the early part of my career, I remember thinking, you know, what was it like in the in the control room or the edit suite when, like, they'd bring in some, you know, six figure art director and he'd say, "Okay, wait, I have an idea, I have a vision: black background, white Helvetica done." <laughs> you know, and and I used to think that that was just such a cop out mm -hmm. until. You start thinking about it. And, and I will say, Tommy, here's what you want to do. Watch the documentary called Helvetica. Yeah. And the answer to your question is this. Helvetica is no longer, is not a punchline. Comic Sans is a punchline. In my, 
Papyrus is a is is a short documentary. <laughs> That's a short documentary on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Generally speaking, do not use wedding invitation fonts if at all possible. <laughs> I it, it, and it depends, of course, on your audience. But I tell you, ninety percent of the time, you can use Helvetica and be done with it, and nobody ever got fired for using Helvetica. I, I prefer Helvetica new. <laughs> I would have said that, but I didn't know how to pronounce it. I've been using that font for 30 years. Yes. That's, that's actually or, a good lesson. How many times have they recut Helvetica? I mean, there's or, 35 versions of Helvetica. Otherwise known as Ariel. Or, <laughs> exactly. Do you know the story behind Ariel, Alex? Where Ariel came from? Microsoft didn't want to pay for Helvetica. Yeah, Microsoft did not want to pay royalty or the, the licensing for Helvetica. Mm. Also, Gotham is a great font. I like, I mean, you know, Excellent. We, so we are, by the way, we're going to have a, uh, a font, uh, a, a topographer coming on in June. So we're excited to have her on. So oh, stay awesome. tuned for that. We just, it took me a couple, anyway, it's a long story, but she's going to, she, she writes, she, she wrote a book that I have. And so we reached out and so she's going to come on. So we'll, we'll talk more. We'll have a whole second hour about fonts. Uh, next question. Bob Sturdevant in San Antonio. Since the Super Sources is a black magic product, are there other hardware devices that could be used like Super Source? Yeah, so every switcher, not every switcher, but almost every switcher has some version of this. So we're calling it super sources because a lot of us have ATEMs, uh, but it is called four ups or three ups or, or you know, multiple DVEs or many other, there's many other words for them, but they, um, and, uh, but they are common in a switcher. So most software switchers, uh, I think that, what are they called in vMix? Like vMix, OBS, um, uh, Mimo, uh, you know, TriCasters, everything, everybody has them, you know, and so, and they're, to be honest with you, they're more flexible in most of those locations because, um, you know, the, the Blackmagic hasn't done a lot with that, but it, it does produce it really well when you get it working, but it's, but that's why we're looking at it. So we're looking at it more from an art, art perspective. Of course, there are tools from Chiron and, and um, VizRT and, and uh, expression from they, they can do a lot of these these types of things as well from Ross and so there's a lot of other things that build these tools in software um, that can make those work as well and the the hard part is is sometimes the switcher only places the images and the graphics come up underneath it with a separate piece and that's why a lot of times you don't see complex comps in a super source like you don't see rounded one thing you don't see very often on a super source I like to add them when I'm doing stuff is like little rounded edges on the super source because that's harder, you know, because most of the systems are putting the graph, they're putting the images over top of that and they're not integrated into it. And so it's putting, giving them round edges is little things that are a little bit, a bit of an added ed edge there. Um, yeah. And, and um, vMix calls them multi-view inputs or layered inputs. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Douglas Carmichael. Would an ATEM Mini Extreme ISO be a solid device to experiment with on super sources? 100%. Yeah, definitely. We'll do take those basic inputs. It doesn't have all the MEs that you might use for something in the future, but um, the ATEM Mini uh, Extreme ISO. That's the big reason that you buy the Extreme over top of the basic, you know, ISO system. Is I mean, one of the big reasons is to is because you get super sources. Um, next question. Xander Snell in Miami, Florida says, "Why is the stacking order on super source boxes on the ATEM opposite to the order of keyers?" I'm sure there's a good reason. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that there was meetings and discussions about it. I don't know how they got there, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's odd. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael, how do most broadcasters create animated backgrounds for super sources? 
a lot of them are probably created in After Effects. You know, like that, you know, After Effects or Motion or, or um, you know, things, uh, you know, a lot of times they're built up. Those are usually pre-rendered. Very rarely are you going to have anything live rendered from the from the background. So typically those are going to be pre-rendered. There was a bunch of meetings and designs and people put them together. Uh, next question. Here you go, Bill. You're going to, oh. before you, well, yeah, I was just going to briefly comment that a, a lot of the packages that you can buy, you can buy from uh, sources. I use Motion VFX a lot, but there are other packages for all sorts of different operating systems. And you can buy them initially, so you can get a background from that. But often they allow you to go in if you have the proper tools, and that could be After Effects or Motion or something. And they allow you to customize a lot of them. So if you have a background that you really like, except it doesn't have complementary colors to the corporate logos and things like that, you actually have access if you buy one of their packages to go in, change the code to change the colors and things like that. So I can't tell you the number of times that I've needed a background. And so I found one that I really liked that it was everything, but it was wrong in some ways. And I just dive down into it, open it in motion and fix it. And then I will say that's one of the things I love about motion VFX is that they are motion files. <laughs> so you can go in and you, you you take an incredible amount of knowledge that they already have about how to build these motion files. I mean, those things are masterclasses. The only files that I get that are more impressive than motion VFX is when Alex Goldner sends me something. <laughs> like, you know, Alex Goldner is like the, he's at another, he's at another level. Uh, but, but other than, uh, you know, Alex Goldner, uh, he sends me these, just the, the functionality of the, of the motion documents that he sends, what they can do and how he builds them kind of blows my mind. Um, and, uh, but motion VFX is one that from, that I learn a lot from. I open those things up and they just, I bought more of theirs than, than I've, gotten Alex to do stuff for me. So that's the only reason. But uh, they're they're both of those are really great. We'll, we'll, we should get, we need to get, we, Alex has done a couple labs that have been just amazing. We're going to do more of those. Um, let's go to the next question. Dave Kaufman in Vancouver, British Columbia. Can you get more apparent mix effects by connecting several ATEM minis together, stringing one output from one into one of the next one's inputs? Go ahead, Chris. Dave, what you're looking for is the new Blackmagic Novum switcher. Novum is Latin for nine. They box eight ATEM Mini Extreme ISOs into a box with a ninth one, and you can plug all eight into the ninth one, and now you have Super Source Nirvana. <laughs> it's the Blackmagic Novum kit. You should look it up. It's I think it's on the website. Does that actually exist? I don't think it's April 1st. Of course is not. Late. <laughs> April 1st is a little <laughs> late. I literally, I still have the tab open that says, what is Latin for nine? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just like, <laughs> Alex, we're trying April to build 1st. something like April that. Is, I have built it. The reason I, the reason yeah. I was like, did they actually package it? Because um, the, uh, I, I have built up to five ATEM mini, the minis up to five of them together. And what you would do there is you would get, now here's the problem with that, by the way, since we've got a moment to talk. Um, so the the real problem you get into when you use, you can build a 4ME, basically a 4ME switcher. And what you need is one of them really needs to, wants to be a, um, a mini extreme because the mini extreme is is the one that needs to put, build that super source together. But if you want multiple MEs to be feeding into that, now if you had a bunch of extremes, then it would, you just stack them all up and you could have exactly what, what Chris was talking about. You have nine of them. Uh, you might not actually need nine because you still want lower thirds and some other things. So you might need really six or seven of them. But anyway, but the, you stack all their outputs, you know, into, in, you know, into each other. Um, and the problem really is, is when I built the one with five of them, the, or three, I'm sorry, four of them, 
the problem really was is like pushing things at the same time because you want to go from this to this to this to this. So I realized what you really need to do is sit back and use companion or something else where you abstract the controls of the switchers so that you're telling both switchers to do something a millisecond apart, you know, like just to just to do the, you know, do do this instruction set. So then you could be cutting and you would theoretically build something that was, you know, 16 or 12 or 16 inputs with um, with a bunch of MEs and, you know, things. And if you did it with an extreme, you would have a 64 input, 64 input, 8 ME, uh, 8. You know, you could you could build something that was totally absurd. I've been trying to get Blackmagic. I'm, I'm waiting for the new mini extreme to come out. And the reason for it is, is that it'll make all the old ones. I, I'm not saying there is one. I'm waiting for whenever it comes out. Um, get myself in trouble. I, I, I don't know of any anything coming out um, there, but I've been waiting for a new one to come out so that the old ones are are obsolete. So I can call Black Magic and say, "Hey, can I borrow eight of them for something totally stupid and absurd?" And I, when the new SDI one came out, I was like, "Oh, I can do it now! I can build it to be all with SDI, and I don't have to deal with all these HDMI cables." Um, but uh, yeah, someday. Ask them for the Novum package. And by the way, I'm offended that you're trying to tell me what I do or do not need. I, th- I think I need this. I need a 64 input switcher. I think it would be great. <laughs> I, think, I think it would be would be um, it would be fantastic. I, I it I want to do it not because we should, but just because we could, you know. And I and I just uh, and and I, I we haven't done it yet, but it's 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 a bucket list a bucket list for us to, to put together. Uh, next next question. Gordon Lake in Los Angeles. Could John Preto demo his Office Hours Super Source? Go ahead, John. So this is all built in OBS version 29. And boy, does it crush my CPU. It's at <laughs> 170 right now. And this is like 12 layers. See, what's really interesting is that I came from the TriCaster and from the software switching world. Right. And so I'm used to the layer paradigm in like Photoshop. Right. And so when you build scenes and obs, it's super easy to follow the paradigm of layers. Then I bought my first ATEM and I said, what is this? This is craziness. I can't easily build things like I did on, on software switcher. And right. so that took that and load videos out of the media pool, which to me just is silly. doesn't make any sense. This is uh, Helvetica. So Chris made me change the change the font on on this This is basically a a ripoff of cnn uh so the background is built in after effects the spinning bug is built in after effects the border around the background is photoshop gradient you see it's gradient it's a gradient effect in photoshop so this was a lot of work to put this together the super source on the right hand side is a, a video running um capture of of office hours and then my live feed of the camera so uh, this took a little while to put together. All the the white box and the red box are built into OBS, so you can build those boxes, make them transparent, or whatever. And then the crawl on the bottom is a feature out of OBS too. That's breaking news from 1985. <laughs> FTP is defined. The is acquired by Lotus. That's great, but it takes a lot of CPU. That's for sure. Yeah, is it no, hard absolutely. to get the news feed from 19? 19- <laughs> from he's, got, he's got a guy. Is it on there. the Wayback Machine? Is there, is there, is there an RSS feed that's on a delay? How does that work, John? <laughs> I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to do historical ones where you just have like the you know, um, 
you know, go back like 800 years and just have the, or, or 2000 years. And it's just like, have you seen, there's a Twitter, we have feed. an uprising in Jerusalem and there's a, there's a guy down there and he's causing a lot of trouble. And you know, there's, you know, the whole, the whole have fake be pundits in. weighing in on whether Caesar yeah. will win or not. <laughs> he's been indicted. Hey, he's did, been did, indicted. You know, there's a, there's a, a Twitter feed that's from like 1945 or 1944 and it follows World War Two as though it was being tweeted. It's very interesting. You know, I, I do think that it's, it's too bad that social media is going to die soon. So, but, but, but it would be, it'd be really fun to, um, uh, I, I always thought that it'd be fun for different TV shows to, the, the best one I've seen so far is Tar, you know, T-A-R, the, the, from the, 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 the fictional actress, oh, I, I ruined it for everybody. <laughs> fictional actress Tar has a Twitter account and she complains about things. I don't know if she, they're still doing it, but they were doing it up into the Oscars where she just complains like, hey, I'm not, you know, like I didn't get invited and I didn't, da, da, da. And, but they did it in the voice of the, you know, the, the fictional character. And I feel like there's just so many opportunities both for history as well as, you know, I could see, you know, I think that what you're talking about with, with World War II, um, but having a historical one where you kind of get a sense of what people would have been thinking or what they would have said in those different times. And again, newscasts, I think would be, would be interesting to like, um, talk about those things and, and how would they be covered and how would they be talked about in a, in this format? It'd be fun. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's weighing in on what we just did, what, uh, Preto just did. John, I love the graphics you created. Was that all in Mimo Live? John? All done in OBS. I have Wirecast. And you know what's interesting is this latest version of Wirecast is for finally stable on the Macintosh platform. And so I've been using a combination. Nice. Uh, I have that, the same super source running in Wirecast and in OBS. This particular one right now is running in OBS version 20. To translate, when John says OBS, he means OBS. Oh, that, that Chris made that up. That just stuck with me. I don't know why I say that. So, <laughs> but a lot of the a lot of the stuff After Effects, the backgrounds After Effects, the spinning bug on the bottom in 3D is After Effects, uh, and then the little gray border around the top is a, a Photoshop gradient. How how do you make it so that you're wearing a different shirt in the big box and the little box to the <laughs> right? Magic. It's magic. Amazing. It's mid journey. It's uh, synthetic -journey, synthetic yeah. AI. <laughs> I, I do think I that when Midjourney is able to do video, the 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 opportunities for lower for super source backgrounds will explode. Have you so. seen, by the way, Alex? Did you notice um, Mike Seymour posted a thing on Twitter? I think just yesterday, uh -huh. and he's using a, an app called like Respeecher or Relipper or something. Yeah, Respeecher. And and he walks out. And then another guy walks out next to him and the other guy starts talking and Mike is standing there not moving his lips. Mm -hmm. And this guy's lips make Mike's lips move. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's creepy. It's it, it, so the, is, the tech there is. Is that the end of, well, I saw it on video. It must be true. Oh, uh, that should have ended about. 30 years ago but but anyways like you know like like that that was never that was never super super accurate um he said it on camera i saw I know, it i know we should not we should not have been using that as evidence for as long as we did so anyway the um but the uh there's so many things yeah there's so, so many things wrong with camera using camera and and video as evidence is is got a whole hallmark you know, just a whole slew of issues 
Anyway, the um, but what's interesting about that, I think we've talked about a little bit in some of the shows that you weren't here because you didn't come to all the shows that we did. So you haven't heard the discussion about it, but you know, Chris, I'm not, you know, not guilt, guilt and shame, guilt and shame. <laughs> I don't buy anyway. into your guilt and shame. Uh, anyway, Let's so, see. so, um, you know, the thing is, is that that what we're talking about there, I mean, we're, we're, it's just, this is what happens to producers. If you run out of questions and we still have a couple minutes, we'll just sit there and finish, finish our kind of conversation. Anyway. So, um, the, uh, um, one of the things that, uh, that's happening in Hollywood is, is figuring out this respeech. The respeech is, is just massive. So one of the things that I was talking to someone about when I was, last time I was in LA was that what they're working on is the technology to allow you to, the first technology that you're seeing is them being, I think respeecher is the one they're using is someone said a swear word and they couldn't get an R, they couldn't get a PG-13 rating or they couldn't get an R rating. I can't remember which one they were trying to get down to. And so the person needed to not swear, but they don't have another take. And so they literally just used it to replace her voice so that she would just say something that wasn't that wasn't a swear word, um, and it sounds like her. It's totally embedded into the into the sound. It didn't need you know they were able to fix it so that it was able to get get you know step down into it. But they're showing examples of this, and one of the things that they're looking at is the concept of you know you do a you the next not, it won't be the next Mission Impossible, but they were using Mission Impossible is that people really want Tom Cruise to be saying all the words in every language. And they have actors that are just the Tom Cruise of Brazil, the Tom Cruise of Germany, the Tom Cruise. But they said, like, like, like that's their job. Like when Tom Cruise does movies, they get hired to do, I mean, they do a lot of other things, but that's that's one of their like verticals. You know, is the person that does Tom Cruise in Brazil is always the same guy because he sounds mostly like Tom Cruise and he can emote it and everything else. But they said that what's ha- what's what's next is that they're going to have Tom Cruise. They'll still have someone saying all those words to get the pronunciation this and they're not even sure of how long that'll be required and what they'll do is they'll take they'll they'll take ai analyze his voice analyze what he's saying change the words to um, another language rebuild his vocals saying those words and then realign his mouth to to match the dubbing that's being done by the ai and and i was like wow that's gonna be amazing in 10 years they're like 10 years two (laughs) You know, like two two years, you know, like like they said we, whether we do it or not. They said the tech is is going to be done in two years, and 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 it's. Um, they said you know there's a, there's a bunch of people that are you know it weirds people out, so we're not sure exactly when it'll come out, but they've got it working already, you know, and they're and they, um, and so it's a, it's kind of an amazing because it's a lot easier for them because if, if you're working with the film, with the industry there's a track that's the vocal track so they can just take that out they don't have to try to fit it into all the other environmental stuff and everything else and so they said inside of that it'll look it'll look identical it'll just look like he said it you know like in that other language and 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 it will be 60 languages and they'll all feel like they were the same and and, and that's also the same thing like it's going to revolution <laughs> the thing was brought up it's going to revolutionize hong kong the all the old all the old hong kong movies that that are you know all the uh, the martial arts movies are going to be you know never the same you know like they're all gonna they're all gonna say the words in in english and it's just gonna look like it's in english but i do think that ai is going to be one of the biggest most one of the most transform transformational thing that's going to come from ai is not being limited by language like we're just gonna not think about not being able to you know we everything will just be read in the language that you that you can read it in you know it's not and it's coming really fast so anyway it's it's a really it's a fascinating thing Anyway. Chris, anything negative to say? Come on, you can. I have can plenty it. of negatives to say, but yeah. can I can I revisit? There was a question earlier. Uh, said, does the panel want to discuss uh, 
what they're currently working on. So yeah, sure. I'm, I'm working on this piece. I'm just going to say this. I'm working on a piece for a client. And I was charged with doing the, the content edit. And there's a moment in that video that is the very best part of the video. It's this transitional moment in it. And the comment I got back from the client was, I think we should remove this content at about, and she gives the time code. And I'm like, really? Okay. It's literally the best part of the video. Yeah, we don't need that. Uh, corporate video is horrible. <laughs> it's the best. Here's the thing is that maybe that one is moment that, is showing how bad the rest of it is. What, what I'll say is that the corporate. <laughs> Corporate video is the best and the worst all at the same time. You know, like I, I don't really like I've worked in film and I've worked in corporate and I've worked in a lot of other things. And and I will say that, you know, there's a level of there's both a level of flexibility in corporate in a lot of ways that I don't you don't get in TV or film, you know, where people have told you what to do and we're just going to do it this way. And there's a lot of money running on this and whatever in corporate, at least for the social, you know, for the, the companies that I worked with there was kind of pie in the sky, like, let's create something new. <laughs> like, let's do something no one's ever done before. We'll just make stuff up. And and I think that that was a lot of fun in, in a way that we didn't get to see very often in film and TV. There was a lot of rules that we had to kind of live inside of. And and so I think that we were able to experiment a lot more. And, you know, you a lot of times I just felt like when you worked in film and TV, you would do incredibly hard work and somebody would yell at you invariably like about something. Cause a lot of times it had nothing, it mostly had to do with they're going to ask you for money back or they're going to want a discount. And it has nothing to do with the quality of your work. They just have to yell at you for the, at the end. Um, so that you can, uh, so that they can then have some, have their assistant call and say, we want 10% off or 15% off or whatever. I mean, it was a very typical Hollywood thing to do. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, we just called it, we just used to call it the shakedown. Like here comes the shakedown, you know, like, you know, and, and, um, and, uh, and so we, we kind of, you know, became very thick skinned about, about that. And, um, and which why I don't do a lot of work for Hollywood producers, but in, corporate everyone was always so excited like we did something crazy and they'd be like this is amazing and so and so it was it was a lot of fun um, but they do do things like cut the best parts out of things all the time like they just because it's not what they have some little list of the things that they're trying to cover and then they have some arbitrary amount of time they want it to fill and there's no reason for it to fill that time there's no real limit to it there's they just but they've they've have some arbitrary thing like we have to this has to be six minutes long or this has to be eight minutes long and and you, you see that across the industry. I mean, like the pod race was too long at 22 minutes and too short at seven and a half minutes, which is what you saw in the film and 11 minutes. 11 minutes was the best. <laughs> so anyway, um, we covered, uh, I just want to thank everybody. Thanks, thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. And uh, thank you to the um, producers. It's great to have, uh, to have all these great questions and, and keeping the conversation moving forward. And of course, thanks to the incredible team on the back end that's making all of this happen every single day. Um, it's, um, it's, it's quite a thing. So, uh, and I, you know, I, it's, yeah, I, I, we had a great, I was really worried that we weren't gonna have a lot of people show up, but we had a great volunteer. The volunteer meetings are becoming really fun. That's the first week, the first Saturday of every month, we're going to be doing these volunteer meetings where we, they're a little bit of an orientation and a lot of just us talking about volunteering and talking about what's going on and what the opportunities are. And I just have, I have a lot of fun with them. <laughs> so anyway, so it just, and I'm just really present to what a great, group of people <laughs> that, 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 have, that have come together to, to do this. Um, so it's really, really amazing. So anyway, hey, speaking of volunteers, can I put in a plug for the three o'clock meeting today for readers? If anybody's interested in exploring that three o'clock, three o'clock in after, after hours. hours.
Yeah. And, and Bill will work with with the readers. So if you're interested in reading, reading is just a really great way to get good at reading. You know, get good at presenting yourself. Get re- you know, it's a good practice. So um, I would highly recommend checking that out. Uh, we traveled 53,000 miles, a relatively relaxed day, 86,000 kilometers, 425 million bananas for scale. Um, and uh, a reminder, the reader workshop is at three o'clock. And tomorrow, Glenn Sanders from Zaxcom is going to be on. He's going to tell us all about what makes Zaxcom, Zaxcom special. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. Come back tomorrow if you want to hear more stories about what infuriates me in post-production. Why don't we make that a second hour? We should make a second I, hour. The I've things that drive to, us crazy. And I've, why have we not done that? That's a Friday. That's a Friday session. Or maybe a Monday. We'll have to ask. Is that the classic? Is this a bug or a feature? No, it's just infuriating. All the things we hate about that. that, 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 that. I, I, don't think, I don't think we can broadcast that. You can only do it clients like, at a certain point in your career. When you're like, when you're okay, when you're okay, sick, we have nothing nothing to lose. I have no more work coming in. Oh, well, that was inevitable. Knew that was happening. Yeah, that's what my my dad used to say is he goes, people are going to pick at me as when I get out of the courtroom. He goes, but I'm just an old sick cougar with nothing. Can we have your dad as a guest someday? We should. We should. I'm actually working on, I'm working on getting a, a place for him to do it from. So, yeah. He's funny. Just don't, you're not allowed to ask for 